0: Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to The Astrology Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 23rd, 2018, starting just after 7pm. It's actually 7.12pm in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 170th episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future uh, episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Kelly Surtees and Austin Kopic about the astrological forecast for September of 2018. Uh, hey, guys, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. I've had a very productive August. I feel like uh, I don't know what it was. The, I ran I into a few like obstacles with the Mercury retrograde, but it wasn't anything that kept me down. And yeah, it's been a good month. Uh, Kelly, you're in Australia. You're traveling again?
1: Yeah, just for a change, as our regular listeners know, uh my dad had a big birthday a couple of weeks ago, so we had a, a family celebration here, which was lovely. And I'm very envious of your productivity this month, Chris. I've had most of the month of August off, so I feel like I'm just now getting back into it and playing catch up. Awesome.
0: Well, nothing wrong with taking some time off.
2: Yeah, I would not characterize my August as being particularly productive. I got some things done, but um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not giving myself any awards, commendations, honors,
0: attaboys. Yeah. Well, you're doing some like restructuring and reorienting, right? Austin.
2: Yeah. I've been doing a lot of catching up and then thinking about, you know, what do I want to do going forward and, um, in what, you know, in what order? Um, and then thinking about how I need to structure my time, uh, over the next six months in order to do that. You know, I stopped writing my, um, my Deccan columns uh, basically on Mars is retrograde. And I said, I would take that time to figure out what forward or direct motion was like. And so I've been doing that. And so I've got a mm, couple of things I know I'm going to do. I need to, I'm going to give it the station, the full moon in the station to, you know, actually, you know, uh, officially stamp it and announce certain things. But yeah, dealing with the past in order to get to the future.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, uh writing horoscopes. I've seen there was the contest or it wasn't contest, it was like a competition yeah, a few people were doing. Yeah, daily writing
1: challenge or something.
0: Yeah, and they're all they're all dropping like flies after writing it for like a few weeks and yeah, it was really interesting seeing that because people were having a hard time like after a while writing like 12 daily columns. I yeah, I I could never do that. You guys have done that at different points, right?
2: I've never done daily horoscopes. I write about a paragraph or two, sometimes three, about the configuration every day, but I don't horoscope it for people. I've done weekly, monthly, yearly, decanly horoscopes, or I guess you know, I'll, if uh, if I write a piece about Saturn and Capricorn, which I did, I'll you know I'll do twelve for that. But I've never done the the, the I've never done the true daily challenge, nor do I particularly want to. But hats off. Hats off right. to those who did it.
0: Yeah. I mean, do we know people like Rick, Rick Levine does dailies? Say-
1: oh, I've done it.
0: You you have done it. Okay. How long yeah. did you do it for?
1: Uh, I, I had a regular, it was a relationship themed daily column. So it was 12 oh, okay. every day, but on relationships only.
0: So even more three, restrictive.
1: Even more restrictive. Three or three and a half years. Very early in my career. Uh, hmm. I was probably in my like early to mid 20s. And it was like, it was really good training ground. I learned a lot from it. I was happy to move on from it, but it was my choice to like, it was me saying to the publishers, you know, I think I think I'm ready for something different. Um And yeah, it's, it is rigorous for sure, but uh you know, you do get a lot out of it.
0: Yeah, totally. And it would be a little bit easier if you were younger in your career and you had less going on, you would be both, more hungry, but also have more time for something like that.
1: Totally. It, and that was it. The time factor, you know, at the time I was just getting started in my own business and it was a steady paycheck. It was basically, I just considered it rent money. It was like two days a week because I just, you know, I'm a fairly quick writer, and I just would, you know, do them, like just dive in and do them. Um, and then I'd have a few days each week where I could be building my clients and building my student practice. So it fit really well and i've found with all the columns i've done you know whether it's been a weekly column i've done some other daily columns over the years uh but you, you know you do them for a few years usually 2 to 3 years they say for regular columns like daily or weekly and then you want something fresh you want a different focus or a different format basically
0: sure yeah i think it, if like a similar challenge like that happens in the future it might be better for people to start out more slowly with like monthlies or something like that, which seems to be more of an entry point. And then if you want to ramp up from there, you can. But otherwise, it seems like if you jump straight into doing dailies, that's just like the hardest thing you could possibly do right from the start.
1: It is it is intense. Yeah, the, the monthlies are good. Weeklies are nice because it's a smaller time frame to cover. Um, mm. There's usually enough going on that you can pick like one really significant aspect or two really significant aspects for that sign for the week. Monthlies, I've always found monthlies one of the hardest to do. I don't know how you Hmm. feel, Austin. No, Um,
2: I I I, I'm similar with you because it's much harder to know how deep to go and like what to emphasize. Like with a week, you know, let's say, you know, there could be no important things, but that's important in of itself right yes um there yeah. could be one important thing that's easy or maybe there's two when you you know you're like oh you know there are these two things that are both happening this week that aren't the same or they work together in this way but with monthly like there are lots of important things that happen at least they're going to feel important for you know that span of days and so yeah like i i've i've written monthlies that ended up being like 6000 words um and I just thought I was doing the bare minimum, and but then other times I've been like, no, this is the gist of it, and I've got the theme, so I don't have to talk about all the details. But yeah, it's the um the there's something about the monthly that makes it harder to decide on scope and depth than, yes. than the other levels.
1: Totally, yeah, because and. If you're writing for yourself online, you know, you've got kind of free reign with your word count. But when you're writing for a publisher and they might say, we want, you know, two or 300 words per sign for the month and you you don't have a lot of room to move there, you really are forced to pick. And then there's a lot of pressure on picking the right thing. Whereas in a week, yeah, I've always enjoyed weeklies and then the annuals or the year aheads. Um, They're my favorites.
0: Definitely. And uh, Arthur says in the chat, so we've got a live audience here of patrons who are attending this episode, and he says that there's a hashtag right now, which is Daily Astro Weather on Twitter and Instagram, which is talking about the daily astrological weather, but it's not for every horoscope sign. It's just a sort of general thing, it sounds like. Right. The, that's the, what
1: you do, Austin. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. And that's yeah. Austin. That's You're actually using that hashtag?
1: I don't know if you're using the hashtag, but that's what you're doing. That's your oh, output. Yeah.
2: Uh, Kate Kate set it up so that my uh, dailies have been tagged that
0: way for, I don't know, a year or two, something like that. Okay, got it. Cool. All right. Um, in terms of like other things going on this month, in sort of retrospect, uh, we just finished up the Mer- Mercury Retrograde that just stationed not too long ago. I actually had a funny thing happen with that because I thought it went by and k- sort of came and went and nothing significant that I – uh, got out rel- relatively unscathed, but then I found out towards the end of it, as Mercury's getting ready to station direct, I get this like frantic email and kind of like annoyed email from some conference organizers who are asking me why I didn't respond to a conference invitation where the deadline had just passed. And it turned out they had sent- invited me to a major conference, but they sent the invitation to like a plumber named Chris Brennan who lives in Ireland, and um. And they actually send it right around the time Mercury was stationing retrograde. And I found out a few weeks later as it was getting ready to station direct.
2: Oh, so it, didn't, my... it, didn't, it didn't go out to the Strangler?
0: No, it didn't go out to the West Side Strangler, Chris <laughs> Brennan. It was, evidently, there's another uh, another Chris Brennan who's a plumber. So I, th- I found that funny.
1: That's totally um, funny. Yeah.
0: So there's... that's my Mercury retrograde story. I don't know if you guys have one.
1: I have a little one. It's I don't know. It's just happened this past week on Twitter and it has to do with Australian politics and a a 30-year-old black man in the States called Peter Dutton, who happens to share the name of a gentleman in Australian politics who is doing some massive challenge for the leadership here in Australia at the moment. So the name Peter Dutton on Australian Twitter has just been trending this week. And this poor guy, because that's his name in the States, he keeps getting people tweeting to him and this Peter Dutton in Australian politics is not very popular, so he's copped a bit, but um, he, now he's uh, he's updated his Twitter bio to say that he is, uh, you know, the people's choice for Australian prime minister because he's had a lot of support. <laughs> <laughs> so just that name thing, I guess, where, you know, people are tweeting without checking, um, which is a bit of a Mercury retrograde. Well, and
2: especially with. Mercury retrograde in Leo being um, yes, confusion about
0: identity. Like, misidentifying someone. Yeah. Right. I kind of wish that the plumber had showed up to – had accepted the invitation for my talk, though, because I think that would have made a much better anecdote in the long (laughs) term. But uh,
1: You'll have to tell this anecdote when you actually give the conference lecture.
0: Yeah, I thought about that. I would make, like, a great keynote joke, like, opening joke. Mm -hmm. Um, Totally. Yeah. All right. Can you tell
1: us which conference it is, or is it still a bit of a secret?
0: Um I actually need to come up with my talk descriptions for it but it's for the AA conference which I've never spoken at in the UK next year.
1: Congratulations nice. that's super exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I haven't I spoke at the lodge at their history conference about 10 years ago in 2008 but I've never spoken at the AA conference so it was a big deal and when I first got the email I was like oh my god I've just missed the deadline through this like weird snafu. And luckily, they were once it was sort of ironed out, and they figured out what happened. They were very cool about it.
1: That's fantastic. Do you, is it the Astrological Association of Great Britain or something? Yeah, that's it. Just for our listeners, it, I think Arthur n- was asking.
2: It's not Astroholics Anonymous or something, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, the, I'll be speaking for the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, next month. No, it's June of next year, so it'll be right after NORWAC. So nor- next year is going to be a packed year for conferences. There's like. Norwalk in May in Seattle. There is the Astrological Association conference in June. And then um, speaker applications for the NCGR conference just closed a few weeks ago. And that I think is happening in like August in Baltimore.
1: Yeah, the summer is really full. I think the AA does do a conference every year. It's around the summer solstice, if I recall correctly.
0: Yeah, it used to be in like September or something a few years ago. I don't know. But they moved it forward this year. And then it seems like they're maintaining that next year.
1: Ah, uh, got it. Got it. So,
0: did you guys apply for the NCGR conference? I was trying to like remind everyone to do that, but I wasn't clear if people were actually doing it.
2: No, I didn't remember. The, okay. um, Mercury and Mars are the two planets that I need functioning more than any other planets for to do my life. And both being retrograde at the same time, um, was not very helpful for me
1: <laughs> <laughs> say that so deadpan austin
2: <laughs> it It really wasn't it was sort of like okay um you know you do you ever have the moments where you know there's like doing you you're like okay, I'm gonna get up and do me today and then you you'd like try and you're like i what am I working with here? this is uh, I don't know how to navigate from this space I can't like put myself i can't assemble myself in a way that functions as my normal self does and you're like all right well I'll try to work from here so got yeah two more weeks of this i had a lot of days like that i was like okay i guess i'll look through old emails or you know unpack boxes and see what i need and see what i need to throw out
1: totally yeah. i didn't apply did you chris for ncgr
0: uh yeah i applied like at the very last minute but i did get my application in
1: Oh, good. Yeah. I decided that I wouldn't, I just have a lot of teaching gigs already for next year. So I was like, and then early 2020, I've got a couple of things. So I was like, I just need to, uh, maybe do a little less on that front because as Austin cracked the whip last month, I'm speaking to a publisher, um, which oh, is not con- confirmed yet, but it's looked like it's moving. And so I have to. Free up a bit of time for the writing. Nice. nice. Awesome. That's, That's awesome.
2: That's great to hear.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, actually, uh, I am traveling. I'm actually going to Australia um, I, I fall. I heard it right Yeah. Um, it's at a point where I can actually announce it. This will be the first public mention of it. Um, I'm doing an event, a live event in Melbourne uh, on November 24th, Saturday, November 24th, called So Below with my uh my good friend and colleague Gordon White. Oh. Ah! Yeah, it's um it's an entire evening. Um all of the drinks are free. <laughs> and it's going to we're going to be talking about we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about um let's see, archaeology, astrology, astrological magic, navigating this time period, all the things that uh Gordon and I usually talk about. And so, when this, I guess the people who are hearing this live, you're literally the first person, first people this has ever um, come out to. Uh, there's going to be an Eventbrite um, uh, to sign up and, and go if you want. It's capped at a hundred. The event is called uh, So Below. Uh, we're going to officially put it out to Gordon's premium members and my Patreon people first before it goes public um and then and then it'll go out to the public maybe first of the month something like that but i'm really looking forward to it gordon and i've been talking about about doing something um down uh down under as it were uh for a while and so this has actually come together over the last month or two mostly That's mostly super through, exciting. mostly through gordon's competence as i said i've been pretty useless lately
1: well you awesome. have skills in who you pair up with then which is great
2: yeah you've met my wife
1: <laughs> yes. And this <laughs> will be your first trip
2: to Australia, right? Yeah, I've been to Europe a little bit, but I've never, I've never, I've never been to the Southern Hemisphere, and I certainly haven't been to Australia proper. Awesome. Well,
1: they are going to be very lucky to have you. Well, ho- hopefully,
2: they'll feel that way once I'm actually there. But yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got like basically a whole. Um, we've got a whole bar venue for, I don't know, I think like eight, 10 hours. And so Fantastic. we'll talk for a few hours and then, you know, it'll just be hanging out and drinking for the rest of the time.
1: And you're in Melbourne itself.
2: Yep. This is, this will be in Melbourne itself. Melbourne. Fantastic.
1: Proper. That's so exciting.
0: Cool. And what do you have going on Kelly or what do you have coming up?
1: Um, well, I'm really bummed that I'm not going to be in Australia in November to go to Austin's event. Um, I have got coming up for September, my next group mentoring starts, uh, on the first Friday of the month. So we capped that at 20. We We've still got a few spots left and our theme for the end of year uh, mentoring series is timing, so we're we're, we're going to do some charts and case case studies each month, looking at how we would navigate timing and forecasting in the charts. So it's less of like a teaching class and more of a practicum where students get a chance to really apply the knowledge or see the theories in action. Uh, and so that's coming up in September. And the other thing I have in September is my next webinar for Astrology University, which is on purification and power, looking at conjunctions to the sun. So just talking about, you know, the combustion Kazemi phenomenon and what really happens when a planet's combust the sun, but also how we handle that in chart interpretation. So that's coming up later in September. I think it's Monday, the 24th, but registrations are open already at the early bird rate. So they're my September events.
2: Oh, I guess I'm teaching a class in September. Should probably Of course you are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's, um, Ooh, I believe what month is it? Is it month six? Yeah, it's month six of my, uh, fundamentals class. And even though it's part of a sequence, people can pop in if that's the piece they need. And it's the, um, it's the class on, uh, on dignity, on traditional dignity. So we'll look at rulership and exaltation and terms and, you know, terms slash bounds and, um, triplicity. And of course, my favorite, um, the decans. And so that's a like you know doing the structures and then learning about what does this look like? What does it mean when something's dignified? What can dignity tell you? What can dignity not tell you? right? So you know again, it's uh, fundamentals, right? It's one of those one of those key one of the gears you need to craft to make the clock tell the right time.
1: Oh my God, I forgot something I'm doing in September. I'm going to Minnesota to speak at the astrology group there in the middle of the month.
0: For stars? Is that the local yes, group? Yes, in-
1: the local group. The middle of the month, the 14th and the 15th. I'm doing a lecture on the Friday night and a workshop on the Saturday. There's information on my website. That's what happens when I'm on the move too much.
2: Awesome. <laughs> and that, yeah, is that's that, a great- Is that Ben Dykes group or is that the group Ben it's Dykes not- is a part of? He doesn't own it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have yeah. to say hi to Ben Dykes and our other friend, Charles Obert, who are oh, both yeah. in Minneapolis.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. I was actually just re-listening to one of Charles's podcasts with you, Chris. So I'm um, excited to meet him in person, uh, which I haven't done. And Ben, I'm looking forward to seeing Ben because I haven't seen him for a while. So yeah, so that's the middle of the month for anyone who's local there.
0: Brilliant. What have you got
1: going on, Chris? I think you just launched a new online course, didn't you? Uh,
0: I did. That's what I've been working on all month is I just launched a new course. Finally, I've been Working on this for a few years or wanting to launch it for a few years, and I did sort of like a test lecture at Norwalk a few years ago. Uh, but I've finally gotten it together and turned that into a full course. And I'm just launching it with sort of a basic, um, yeah, doing my first full unveiling of the course today. Basically, this is the first time I've ever announced it publicly when this episode comes out. But it's called the Professional Astrologer Course. And the basic purpose of the course is I always have people. It's like I teach people normally like Hellenistic astrology and how to practice astrology and how to read a chart effectively as an astrologer. But sometimes after people learn that, they get stuck in this like in between space of, you know, wanting to do astrology professionally, but not really knowing how to get started. So the purpose of the course is sort of a two part um, thing of, on the one hand, teaching people how to make that transition to start actually seeing clients and some of the things that they need to know. When they're sort of in the process of starting to see clients and just the mechanics and practical things surrounding doing that, and the other thing that I focus on in the course is how to build an audience. So once you've started seeing clients, how do you not just you know become a professional astrologer, but how do you actually become successful and and make that your primary vocation or make a decent living doing it and some different strategies for building an audience and other things like that so people can check that out at Uh, on my course website, which is theastrologyschool.com. And I'm going to launch that and also be doing some webinars with people where we do Q&A sessions to talk about different questions that people that are trying to make that transition have and continually adding new videos to the course and things like that. That's great, dude. That's.
2: I just think back on my wayward and winding journey into being a professional astrologer and how any guidance really would have been helpful not that i would have listened but a, you know <laughs> um i could have looked at least looked back and be like well that was really good advice
0: yeah no exactly cuz everybody all of us i think we all just most astrologers just sort of figure it out as we go and you make mistakes and you just sort of trial and error sometimes you like look and see what other people are doing but most of the time everybody's just sort of grasping in the dark and everybody comes up with their own unique like cobbles together whatever their astrological practice or business is as a result of that. But I wanted to actually pass on some stories. So one of the sections of the course is where I talk about the podcast and like my history doing a podcast and what worked for me and what didn't and what moves were effective and what weren't or other means of building an audience that people can use like blogging, getting lectures in the astrological community, different sort of equipment or other things that are useful, software programs and other stuff like that. So, really, getting into all of the the practical details of actually practicing astrology.
2: Yeah, it's really good. It's really good, Kelly. You didn't. You don't seem like you were as blind and confused as I was. You seem like you were like twenty. You know, you were like, oh yeah, I was twenty two, and I was writing this, you know, for this magazine for a while, and then building my practice on the side, and then I moved on to this. You seem um, like you were a, a little bit more as mm, we say, aware and effective as to the becoming an astrologer.
0: <laughs> well, you had a yeah. separate like previous existing business, right, Kelly? Like you had other business experience going Well, I
1: actually, I set them both up at the same time. So okay. I became self-employed when I was like 22 or 23. And I was a trained remedial massage therapist and I had done my astrology studies. So I was looking to build a business sort of on both fronts And it was actually Caitlin at UAC, she sort of got into my ear a little bit. And she said, you know, that's not how most people set up their own businesses, which really got me thinking. And I haven't sort of come up with any clever answers, you know, about what I might have done differently that allowed it to be a little bit more of a smooth process. But there was definitely one thing that I think I did that was maybe different from what people do when they're doing astrology or setting up astrology businesses I didn't think it was weird or unusual to be setting up a business as an astrologer. I just thought, I know a lot of naturopaths. I know a lot of homeopaths. I know a lot of massage therapists. I'm just doing a business like they are. So mm. there was something about maybe normalizing it and just almost getting over the hump of of could I or would it be weird? And I just dived into the how to make it happen. So dive straight into the execution or the action taking. And looking for clients, whether you're a naturopath or a counselor or a massage therapist or even a lawyer or a plumber, like my brother runs a plumbing business. Looking for clients is looking for clients. It's just about communicating who you are and what you have to offer. Um, and so I but I I have noticed over my years of teaching that many people get stuck at that point where they're very well trained, they're very well educated as astrologers. But crossing that bridge into the practice or into the using it is a little bit tricky. And so I'm really happy to see this course come out, Chris, because I do, I think um Arthur had said this in the comments and I completely agree that it is, I don't think as a community we do enough to help people cross that bridge and right. anything that helps Provide that bit of hand holding, like this is how I did it, or this is how, what you could try. Because in the beginning, you need concrete steps. You need to think, I'm going to do this promotion, or I'm going to write this blog post, or I'm going to send this newsletter, or I'm going to do something on social media. It's just putting that energy into it and getting some tips on where to start, you know, is always very helpful.
0: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes being able to have just pass on like little anecdotal things that are helpful. That's one of the episodes I did earlier this month with Dennis Harness. Where the genesis of that was that when I was at Kepler 10 or 12 years ago, he gave this talk once on six different client types that can sometimes be problematic or that you need to watch out for when you're a consulting astrologer. And one of them is like the person that just really doesn't want to be there. And that sometimes happens when the consultation is given as a gift. And so the person is like begrudgingly like doing the consultation, but honestly doesn't have an interest in astrology and will sometimes make things more difficult for you than they need to be and that was all that actually turned out to be a good piece of advice that most of the more like not great consultations i've had have been with people that were where it was given as a gift and sometimes that doesn't work as well out as well as you would think even though the intention is usually positive when people give that as a gift
2: yeah i've i've had some of those um sometimes giving some uh, what i've noticed is that sometimes that um, giving, you know, Oh, here's, you know, I want you to go, you know, talk to Austin or whatever is like a passive aggressive way of saying, get your shit together to that person. <laughs> right. And, and like, they, they don't want, they're, they're fine with things. They don't want, you know, a stranger, um, giving them a bunch of advice or telling them who they are, or, you know, any of that stuff. And so that that's one of the things that I've seen.
1: Absolutely. And I noticed that same thing too. And what you're saying, Austin, is so cliche because it often happens for me in couples where one person will say, I'd like to send my partner. And I have learned that the first response in any gift situation, I want to give my child this, you know, my child's in their early twenties or what have you. I want to get them to come and speak to you. The very first response I say, you have to ask them if they actually want to come because there's nothing worse than trying to do a consult with someone who doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And when you are setting up your business in the early stages, it's it kind of seems counterintuitive to decline a client but there is a, a an idea if you like in marketing where declining sales actually helps you target your market and help you focus on the kind of people you want to work with so saying no to the wrong kind of person actually saves you a lot more time and energy in the run in the long run than you know trying to take every client in the beginning
2: well yeah so, and also when you're like just getting going like you know kind of an off reading um, does not help your confidence. And, you know, once you've done a thousand readings, you're like, yep, sometimes they're not amazing, and you know, but you've got this, you know, this experience of doing 940 good ones, right? Whereas when you've done 40 readings, like, then, you know, even one bad one is like, it's a significant percentage, right? That's like two and a half percent of your readings are now bad if you just had one bad one or, you know, just not so great one. Um and so, yeah, I think that, um, you know, it, it, that figuring out clients thing, um, is important. That, and what I mean is like figuring out like what you can do and like to do for people. And then to represent yourself in a way that people come to you for what you're good at and what you, the kind of reading you like doing. Um, cause I tried for a while to just like, how should we say, um, completely subordinate myself to whatever that person wanted. Um, and you know, after a while of doing that, it's like, oh, well, I'm still better at the things I'm better at. And if we can like, start with that, you know, like you can go to somebody else for this other thing. I, I can probably do that. But, um, you know, figuring out what you like, the range of things that you like to do is really important so that you have people um coming to you for that, and you know having um what's the word a compatible a compatible perspective on what astrology is and what a consultation is. I actually kind of go out of my way to do a little explaining at the beginning of every reading like this is exactly how to work with me like I work best when i'm asked when I'm asked questions right, and you know i you know I was like i will occasionally monologue, but like I need to know what's important to you so I can tell you what the astrology says about it. Whereas that's not how everybody works, but I realize I do. So now I just explain it. I'm like, do you want the best reading for me? This is this is the best way to do it. And things have gone better since I started
0: doing that. Yeah, definitely. And I and I think all three of us are like examples of younger astrologers that you can make it in this profession full time and that it is possible. there's so many people that maybe never make that jump or never make that leap because they're afraid that they won't be able to be successful or won't be able to get by just doing astrology as their primary vocation so the more people that I can bring into the field and like help make that transition and make it you know gentler than it was for me for example then I think the better so that's that's the goal yeah well that's great dude obviously there's a lot to uh there's a lot to talk about there
1: yeah we could keep going <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm actually what I'm going to try to do is I want to try to get some short, like 10 minute interviews with each of you on some of these topics at some point to splice in because I want to do some interviews with different community members about their transition and things that were helpful. So that'll be a part of it eventually as well. Um, and I've started adding some of those interviews already to the course. So anyway, that's available on the course site. The other thing I did this month is people have been asking me podcast listeners have been asking me for at least two years now to make some some shirts and some merchandise, and I finally got around and have started to do it. So that's the other thing I'm sort of announcing or launching today is I've already got some shirts up for the Astrology Podcast. So let me share it for the video version so people can see. And they'll probably be more available by the time I actually get this going uh, by the time this episode comes out next week, because I've got a few more that are in production, but there's a bunch that are live. Right now, you can order them through Amazon. some of them are just the standard the astrology podcast logo and it's available for both men's and women's sizes in like a bunch of different colors uh and then I've also been working on some like sort of funny uh sort of cutesy ones like uh what's your sun Moon rising sign shirts, which is I think more common as well as what I think is my favorite <laughs> one I've come up with so far, which is the Ophiuchus is not. A zodiac sign shirt because i think we have to start we have to start pushing back a little bit on that and what better way to do it than to put the message right right on your shirt
1: i love it chris (laughs) chris i just also have to say like you have had an incredibly productive month austin and i are like you know deer in the headlights and you've like whipped out six new businesses so the whole Mars retrograde thing, I think just as an case in point example for our listeners, it really does depend on what it's doing in your chart, what it's activating, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Uh yeah. I mean the Mars retrograde was going through my first and then it went back into Capricorn where my natal Mars is placed. And I think that did give me a lot of energy. In addition to like Jupiter, that last station in Scorpio was in my tenth whole sign house. Wow. And I'm actually in a Scorpio tenth house perfection year. So Right. Launching this course and getting the shirt together, shirt thing together finally, I think that's a large part of it.
2: Yeah. Well and also like Mars, even if Mars is retrograde, if it's transiting uh if it's transiting your first and rolling your perfected tenth, you're not going to be inactive. Right. You know, if we were making predictions, we might say something about like the efficiency of the action or the person's temper, but we would not expect them to just be like, oh, I don't know, I'm tired and I can't do anything. Like that's very active. Ruler of you know ruler of the tenth in the first et cetera et cetera
0: yeah and I tried to take my own advice for my like uh, Aquarius rising horoscopes this month because I did the second round last month which also continued to go well on my YouTube channel and you know everybody I actually watched some other people to see what other people were saying about that recently and the consistent advice it seems like astrologers are giving are either you know channel that energy if that Mars retrograde is hitting your chart in a way that's kind of tense or challenging and bringing a lot of energy to your chart. Either find a way to channel it productively or, you know, that might go internally and then it could lead to, you know, explosions or outbursts or, you know, anger or other things like that that could be less productive.
2: Yeah. And I do think that um, one thing that I've really mm, seen this time is that natal Mars phase, not just was it retrograde or direct, seems to matter um, a lot. You know, in in part of the, you know, I always have um, the gasoline just gets taken out of my car during every single Mars retrograde. And it's different, but I have a very consistent um, uh, low power experience. And I was reflecting this time on the fact that I was born during the opposite phase. I have Mars with the sun. Um, You know, about 10 degrees away, mm. right? Whereas the Mars retro is literally the opposite side of the it's the opposite phase where Mars is either opposite the sun or in one of the two signs adjacent to the one opposite the sun. And so in terms of like, understanding why a particular create phase feels like kryptonite, um, you know, understanding that there's nothing more foreign to my sun Mars relationship, than the sun Mars relationship of the retrograde itself has been helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, so yeah, I'll put a link in the description page for this episode where people can find out more information about the shirts or order one. Uh, if anybody has any ideas for shirts, I'm trying to like come up with with some related to the podcast or astrology in general. So if you have an interesting idea, shoot me an email. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for that. So in terms of other discussion topics, before we get to the forecast, one of the ones that a lot of astrologers are talking about this month is that Netflix special on astrology came out uh, as part of the explain, quote-unquote Explained series. So, it was cut, titled Astrology Explained, which is produced by Vox in a partnership of some sort with Netflix. Did you guys get a chance to see it?
2: I I can't watch things like that. Okay, so you I purposely didn't, I, I, I avoided didn't watch, it. I didn't watch the, the Bill Nye thing either. Um, yeah. My eyes would just, they would roll so hard that the muscles which attached them to my skull would tear, and then I would have to get surgery. Right. <gasps>
0: yeah, I think, <laughs> uh, did you see it, Kelly?
1: I didn't watch it, but not for such strong reasons as Austin. I just haven't had time.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you've been around the astrological community enough, you get jaded pretty quickly, and you know that most mainstream documentary-type things that come out on astrology are going to be bad in differing like, levels of intensity. Uh, <laughs> but- yeah.
2: Is it an F5 like the uh, like the Bill Nye one or just an F4?
0: No, it's lower on the scale. It's actually much better. Cause the, and this is why I watched it, because um, the producer, she was actually in contact with some astrologers and she was very cool. And she went to UAC and they filmed some footage and some interviews there. There was some like actual astrologers that we know. They didn't just like get, you yeah. know, some anonymous blow off like wacky astrologer type, which is often sometimes what they do is like it'll end up being some astrologer nobody's ever heard of who's doing something totally weird or is actually just like a yoga teacher or a psychic or something like that and not an astrologer full time. In this one though, it wasn't like that. Um, they had interviews with Sam Reynolds. They had uh, Channing Nicholas they had uh, jessica legnado and uh, a bunch of other people actually appeared in the documentary actual astrologers so it was actually positive in that sense and they also um they talked to adam ellenboss and adam put the producer in touch with me and i talked with the producer a bunch to correct and just give some, them some historical information and they also talked to lisa Scheim, and they actually gave me and lisa a credit like a thank you at the very end in the credits for the consulting we had done on that, and I had given her a copy of my book. So I had moderately high hopes for it, although I'd been burned enough in the past that I actually knew there was going to be something that was not going to be great about it. It was just a matter of how bad it was. And um, yeah, most of it was actually pretty good, and it's actually a very good concise like 15-minute segment on astrology that talks a lot about the history and is probably a good introduction to the subject but then there's just like it takes this weird it takes this weird unexpected like u-turn or like veer at one point about halfway through where they start talking about the 13th sign and how astrologers don't know about it or aren't using it and it actually uh. the way it portrays like a few of the astrologers from UAC like Jessica and Sam and like a few other people I felt was a little bit misrepresented because it it treated them as if they didn't care about or didn't know about or or were just brushing off the 13th sign thing instead of actually having a response to it. So, that was just a little bit weird. And that was the main thing that I think stood out to most people. And weirdly, they actually used that segment in the promotions for for the entire episode. So, if you go to like their Twitter account, that segment, you can watch it, is from the very middle. And that was the most negative part of the entire segment, whereas the rest was more of like an objective just trying to describe this phenomenon of astrologers still existing in society.
2: Do you think maybe um you think maybe there was like um a, a producer or somebody, not one of the people actually working on it and building it, who at the end was like, oh well, you gotta do a thing on that. Everybody knows about that. And that's maybe
0: why they didn't I don't know. Well, I mean, they were consulting with one of some of the people that they consulted with were like a science historian and other people like that. So I'm sure they were consulting with other scientists or astronomers who were like doing the sort of typical and astrologers don't even pay attention to Ophiuchus thing. But that's what's so so annoying about this. Like Seeing this treatment allowed me to, I think, formulate what is so offensive about that for the first time is that it's always a thing of people outside of the field who don't believe astrology is a legitimate phenomenon telling people inside the field if they did believe in it or if it was a legitimate phenomenon, then this is how they would do it hypothetically. But the problem with with that Mm. critique is that they don't actually believe it's legitimate and don't have any basis for telling astrologers like how the zodiac should be structured. It's it's always a weird critique for that reason, I think, or that like like that's at the core of it. Yeah, that's very armchair quarterback.
1: Yeah, it's like backseat driving, basically.
2: Yeah, or like the you know some guy in his couch yelling at the boxer what to do on the TV.
0: Yeah, well, it's, like, just disin- it's disingenuous because it's an attempt to say this is the way it should be done by people that don't actually believe it's a legitimate phenomenon in the first place. They're just throwing it out there in order to attempt to raise doubt about the subject in general.
2: Yeah, it's um, much more on the order of propaganda than anything
0: else. Right. Yeah, so- that's unfortunate, but um, So you're saying I really missed out and I should totally go watch it right now. I and mean, you should watch it just to understand like the historical context of like how astrology is being presented in the early 21st century, not that you don't already know that and it's not going to surprise you in any way, but it is interesting seeing, you know, Chani did an amazing job, Sam did a great job, so, you know, seeing some actual astrologers from our generation like people that we came up with Starting to be the people that are being interviewed, I think it's really interesting from that perspective.
2: Yeah, that is well. That's a little, it's a little trippy. It reminds me of uh, when you were on, was it? You were on Fox and Friends, like on a
1: <laughs> yeah ten years ago. Election.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. 2012. I'm, I remember see, seeing that. No, this
0: was yeah. Was it then? Is that the first? Yeah.
2: I think it was. Or were Were you on twice?
0: I don't think so. I think it was just 2012. Was it that 2012. Late? Okay. Yeah.
1: But uh, that's still six years ago now.
0: But I, I just remember, like, I was like, what is,
2: what's happening to reality? Like, why, like, <laughs> it's not that Chris doesn't deserve to be on television, but Fox and Friends of all places, and they were right. super respectful to you, and I was like, what is happening? I was like, there's got to be a Mercury-Neptune aspect, and yes, there was, because um, I was like, this yeah. is- reality is uh like all you know Dali style, all the clocks are melting and the elephants have twenty foot stick legs.
0: Yeah. In a I mean, good way. It was it was bizarre and it was totally bizarre for me, but they weren't being that respectful and the whole point of it was just that they were trying to run early interference on like the Hillary Clinton campaign because we had I think they were trying to run a story on like whether she would run in 2016. And remember she put off announcing that she would run as late as possible basically as far as possible but when they another reporter from ABC approached us and asked if we thought she was going to run we said yeah we think so if this birth time is correct we don't know if she's going to win because it depends on who her challenger is but we do feel pretty confident that she would run because she was hitting the high point in her zodiac releasing periods at that time by the time of the 2016 election so and then fox news hearing that immediately wanted me to come on But that was one of the reasons why I got out of politics after that because I realized astrologers getting involved in politics was actually very dangerous because it would start being used for propaganda purposes. And after going on Fox and Friends, I realized that was exactly what what was starting to take place. So that's uh, when I I closed down the political astrology blog after that election was finished in 2013. Right. That makes sense. So just on that
2: topic, Um, Al Cummins published a book maybe five or six years ago, which Mm -hmm. deals with how astrology was utilized, um, politically during the English Civil War era. And like literally, you know, how, you know, one astrologer who was on the side of blank would write this thing about, well, when you look at the chart, it clearly says that we're correct. And then the other side would have, would find astrologers to say, you know, to, to reinterpret the chart the opposite way. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. And I mean that's the thing that makes me nervous is that usually it's at the point when like politicians or authority figures start taking astrology seriously that you do have a problem or that astrologers start having a problem because then people want to control either what's being said or they want to stop astrologers from making those statements. Uh, and that's like a issue I'd like to not have to deal with in modern times because astrologers right now are in a relatively good space in terms of being able to practice under free speech laws and not having a lot of other, you know, anti-astrology laws in effect at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing, just to go back to the Netflix documentary for a moment, I, I was excited that it was there just because I thought- it is a testament to how popular astrology is currently that whether it's favorably portrayed or not, Netflix put a documentary together on astrology and they did enough research to figure out we have this big conference where there's going to be, you know, thousands of us and they sent some um, people down there to record. So it may or may not have come out, you know, totally favorably in the end. But I, I did think I was kind of heartened by the fact that it was at least created and put out there
0: yeah I was surprised, and I'd wished that almost that there had been more people trying to do a documentary there at uac and actually, only very little of the actual footage or interviews that they did there got in, which is on the one hand is kind of disappointing, but then on the other hand, we also probably lucked out a little bit because they were just making just ran, interviewing random people at certain mm-hmm. points and I heard one of the things that they attended was like a press conference they did at the very beginning of the conference, which was just a disaster. Oh. So there's yeah. like certain pieces that were almost lucky that it wasn't worse and for that reason I wasn't super disappointed in the whole thing. Anyway, so that's the Netflix yeah. thing. It's it's actually worth checking out. I really do not I, like that segment in the middle and I was never told that that was going to be there. As otherwise I would have corrected them and told them, you know, no, this is not accurate. You know, tropical astrologers have been using this approach for nearly 2000 years. We're well aware of it and the existence of that constellation doesn't change the basic structure of the 12 signs. So, this would be inaccurate to put in your documentary, but I wasn't given that option.
2: So, I want to take a sentence that you just said, Chris, which is, I wasn't totally disappointed in it. And I want that to be like, you know, when they show uh, uh, critics' quotes in order to try to excite you about a movie or a film. Um, like, you know, blah, 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 Netflix documentary. I wasn't totally
0: disappointed, Chris Brennan. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be. A- <laughs> The thing is, I don't want to be a total jerk about it, though, either, because there was a genuine attempt on the part of the producers to ask us and to get corrections on certain things. And I'm sure as an outsider, if you're coming to it and approaching it, and you have no background whatsoever on astrology, and you're just supposed to spend like a month or two doing treating this topic you've never heard of before, and you come into the middle of it, and you have two sides that are saying extremely different things, where you have the astrologers on one side doing one thing, and then you have the scientists and the skeptics saying a completely other thing, it's going to be really hard to to balance those two especially in a way that makes both sides happy and one of the things i noticed is that immediately when they started promoting the netflix special special once it came out through twitter i told you they released that one short segment which is like the worst segment that attacks astrology or criticizes it and sort of mischaracterizes it the most as their promotional video for it but even releasing that promotional video that was largely negative in its treatment of astrology on Twitter, they were just getting hammered for talking about astrology at all. And people are like, why are you talking about this? You're doing a disservice to the public by even mentioning astrology. It's totally bogus. You shouldn't do an episode on it. So even that little largely negative treatment of it was treated negatively. So I can understand then why why they sort of framed it in the way that they did. Anyway, you guys should check it out at some point and let me know what you think. If anybody else has feedback about it, let us know in the comments section for this episode. Um All right, moving on, other news and announcements. so I had one other discussion topic, and then we have to talk about the giveaway, and then we should get into the forecast for the month since we're about an hour into this so um, the last sort of discussion topic I wanted to have is I wanted to give a shout out shout out to a few. New astrology podcast, because lately there have been a bunch of new astrology podcasts that are starting, and I'm actually very excited about it. So I wanted to mention a few of them so that people can check them out, because I think um, it would be good to support some of these new efforts that's starting to sort of like diversify the sort of general discussion of astrology in the, the podcast sphere. So one of them is Jessica Legnato actually launched a new astrology podcast called Ghost of a Podcast. And it's rising up the iTunes charts really fast. And it's actually ranking really high in some of the categories that she's sort of categorized the podcast for. So, that's one I would definitely recommend checking out. Um, And she was on the show earlier this year, and we had a great talk. And I'm hoping to have her back again before too long. Uh, Another great podcast. Oh, did you want to say something?
1: Yeah, sorry, Chris. Um, Jessica is one of those people that when you do your interviews around how to have a business with astrology, like she is next level with the business acumen that she brings to this business, so pop her on your shortlist there as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And her website's awesome, and the way that she's like structured her podcast is awesome on the website. If you actually go and, and look at the way that it's set up, I really love the way that it's structured and everything, just from the just even just an, an aesthetic standpoint. So yeah. definitely check that out. Um, another podcast that launched recently, Annabelle Gatt launched a podcast titled Annabelle Gatt's Astrology Show. Uh, Annabelle, of course, is the popular author of the horoscope column for Broadly slash Vice, um, and she's had a growing sort of over the past few years and like a very dedicated following of people that read her horoscope column. So she's launched a new podcast, which I'm really excited about, and she's got a few episodes out now, uh, I believe you can find on iTunes. Uh, another podcast I've been listening to that launched a few months ago is called Energetic Principles with Melissa Lafara. Mm-hmm. And this one is really interesting and she has a lot of um, different people that she's been bringing on the show, which I really appreciate. And she also has like a really great voice is like the first thing that I that stood out to me just for doing a podcast um, and that you'll hear as soon as you start listening to it. She's also a musician, so it has really good production quality. and I would recommend checking that one out. And then finally, there's another one that came out earlier this year, but it's become like wildly popular. It's titled What's Your Sign? uh, podcast with Julia Loken, Stevie Anderson, and Lisa Chenu. So it's kind of new. It just came out earlier this year, but already it's got a huge following and like a ton of ratings on iTunes. And it has probably the best intro song of any astrology podcast I've ever heard. And I don't know if it's like a unique song that's unique to the show that they came up with or if it's like a song that I just don't know about but it's really great uh and I would recommend checking that out so yeah there's a lot going on and I think astrology podcasting is in like a really great place all of a sudden and I'm gra- glad also to see more w- women doing it cuz lately it's like a, there's my podcast that's out there and then there's Adam Summer's mm. podcast exploring astrology which is also good but it almost feels like a little bit too like bro cast, um, specific when so much of the field is women. So it's cool. I'm glad to see more women like getting an in, into actually doing podcasts, right. sausage casting, as it were. Right. <laughs> I, I'm actually thinking of doing a little sausage casting
2: myself. <gasps> okay. Um, oh
1: my God. Austin. I'm not going
2: to be doing like a regular weekly podcast thing, but I've had this, uh, and this relates back to some of what we were talking about earlier with like hearing stories and you know uh let me uh, let me rephrase okay so what i was what i've been thinking about doing which i'm about 95% on is i just want to have converse i want to have some of the conversations that i have with people anyway who practice the same arts that i do whether it's astrology or magic or whatever um and because i i've looked back and i've learned so much from trading stories with my peers, and then like talking about well, this worked this way, and that implies this about the theory like the the you know narrative and technique kind of blend into each other, and I just want to like kind of just tape some of the talks I have with people anyway um and so I don't know my my like unofficial my working title at least in my head, is uh eavesdropping
1: oh, I like it. I like it. Um,
2: and I don't, I'm, i you know, I don't want to make it approachable. Um, what I mean is like, <laughs> I want to have like practitioner talk, um, so that people can listen in on that, you know, um, cause I, it was just, this, it's one of the things that especially made me think of this again recently, um, is seeing people like getting into astrological magic. And, you know, I, when I think of, uh, when I think about why I mostly know what I'm doing, there's you know reading and experimenting and looking at results and theorizing, but there's also been a lot of comparing notes with people over the years and to be like, yeah, I did this and this happened. Um, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be, there's just, there's a lot of uh, informal education that you get from hearing those stories and then analyzing those stories and then going back and doing more experiments, that sort of dialogue between story and technique and experiment. I guess that's a trialogue. Um, has been really helpful. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do that. I might do, I don't know, one or two a month. We'll see. We'll see how hard it is.
1: Well, that sounds exciting, Austin. I'm not doing anything of any kind like that. I'll just be showing up with you guys each month, but. Well, no, you're you're doing your
0: monthly forecast though for, that's private for subscribers. Oh yeah.
1: For the subscribers, the stellar insights. Yeah. That's true. Actually, I do a, um, it's a private, I guess you've got to subscribe. That's what makes it private. Um, and yeah, there's actually a video per week. So I guess it's like a private podcast. You just got to sign up for it. Yeah. That's actually very true. I I forget all about these things. You're doing Um, a
0: highly exclusive, uh, (laughs) highly detailed, advanced forecasts for private individuals.
1: For private individuals, highly exclusive. Yeah. There's video and audio and there's a lot of detail actually. There's just a lot of like, this is basically I look at every aspect in the month and we just go week by week. So you get it in weekly chunks. Uh, Thank you for mentioning that, Chris. Um, and I was just going to say, Mel's podcast, I'm actually going on as a guest for her at the end of September. So I think that episode will be out early October.
0: Oh, you um, are? That's Mel- awesome. Okay.
1: Yeah. Mel Lafar. She's down in San Diego, which is just a part of the world that I love. So yeah. Good. And yeah. She's and- got a musician background. So yeah, her voice is beautiful.
0: Yeah, totally. Um and-, and that's one of the things I like, even though I like what you were saying, Austin, and that's certainly also what I do on this show in terms of having more practitioner or more high-level discussions. And I don't necessarily like hold my back self back from doing that. And we don't hold back necessarily from doing that. But I like some of these other podcasts that they're also making astrology more approachable. And that's something I don't always necessarily focus on as much as I could. And I appreciate some of the, the diversity now of the different podcasts that are out there that are making it more approachable in different ways uh, that I couldn't do or or haven't done myself. And that's one of the other things that's exciting about it. Yeah. Well it's a group effort, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, especially as astrology actually is becoming more popular in mainstream culture over the past few years. Um, and I think seeing the launch of some of these new podcasts is both evidence of that, but also is going to help that in terms of raising the level of discussion amongst uh, the sort of mainstream about astrology. So, anyway, uh, check those out. I'll put links to all those podcasts on the description page for this episode. The last thing that I have to mention, uh, before we move on to the forecast is the giveaway this month. We're actually partnering, did a partnership this month with, with Astrology Hub to do this month's giveaway. And we're going to give away three passes to patrons on the five and $10 tiers who support us through our page on Patreon. So the description, they actually have, um, an online event that's coming up in September, uh, later on in September. And the, this is the description that they sent in. It says, this September, join Astrology Hub's free online event, Astrology Summit 3.0, which is titled Raising Consciousness and Deepening Your Spiritual Path. So over the course of the next seven days, learn how physics and spirituality are emerging through astrology and how to use it all to shift your reality. So you'll hear some of the world's top astrologers and spiritual leaders such as Rick Levine, Teal Swan, David Cochran, Sarah Sahara Rose, uh, David Palmer, the Leo King, Jennifer Sodini, Nadia Shaw, and many more. So you can find out more information about that at summit.astrologyhub.com slash astrology podcast. And I'll put a link in the description for this episode where you can find out more information about it. So definitely check that out. All right. Um, I think that's it. So we're, we're only like an hour into this episode. So maybe it's time to get to the, the forecast. What do you guys think?
1: No. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no we could keep talking, but I think we've got some astrology to get to. It looks like September is actually more, more packed than I initially thought. Like I thought September was going to be relatively quiet, but when I actually got into it, there was actually a lot more going on than it first seemed. I had the same experience. So, same experience. Yeah. Well, okay. cause
2: you're like, well, um, you know, it's before the Venus retrograde and it's after the Mars retrograde and there are no eclipses and there are no Mercury retrogrades, you know, cause there's so right. much, there's so much drama before it and there's you know some real drama after it um that I think that simply because it wasn't you know um a flaming shit show that you know <laughs> you're like well whew, that that that'll be restful,
0: you know? Right. Yeah I mean we, we're finally out of eclipse season. Uh the Mars retrograde is now officially over because it's actually stationing here at the end of August. So about by the time I release this episode, Mars will actually be direct again. Um, and I, yeah, I think most of the most like crucial things that we highlighted on this year's like yearly forecast episode has already passed. And I thought there was going to be like a little period of like quietness before we hit other stuff like the Venus retrograde, but it doesn't really look like that's necessarily the case. What do you think? No,
1: Well, yeah, I agree with you guys. There's definitely the, the feeling I had for September was like the passing of the baton from, you know, Mars is not Retrograde anymore, but still in shadow. And there's still some cleanup to be done with Mars. We've still got a square to Uranus and a conjunction to the South Node coming up. We're kind of not done with those features yet. But Venus goes into her shadow very early in the month. So she's starting to slow down. So there's that sense of, yeah, one retrograde's winding down, but the other one is starting. And there's a few other things going on. And I also realized too that Mercury is moving really quickly at the moment. It's sort of he's, you know, in September, he's back up to kind of top speed, he'll move through Virgo in just over two weeks, which means all of those little trigger transits that faster planets like Mercury can make, that's part of what makes the middle of the month so busy, if you like, with just a number of a lot of different things happening.
2: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I I agree wholeheartedly about uh, a baton pass. And there's one particular moment where that baton pass is, I think, most clear, but that's yep. a little further on. So let's maybe get to that in sequence.
1: We'll go chronologically.
2: So I, yes, I, go ahead. I don't know about you guys, but the first thing that I saw that I thought was really interesting, which really starts on the, on the fifth, um, is that we've got Mercury moving into Virgo and Mercury, one, it's a sign change for a planet, so that matters. And it's Mercury, um, you know, in the sign that it both rules and is exalted in. We like this, right? But um, it puts Mercury into a Grand Earth trine with yeah. Saturn and Uranus for approximately three or four days. And a couple days into this, we actually have the Moon. Uh, conjoint Mercury in Virgo. So we have this this Grand Earth trine between Saturn and Capricorn, Uranus and Taurus, Mercury and Virgo, and then we have the Moon on top of Mercury. Um, and and, the,
0: and this is also when Saturn's stationing direct at the beginning of the month in it, Capricorn.
2: Exactly, exactly. Saturn stations. What is it? The uh, early early morning on the sixth, at least in uh, North America. So that's right in the middle of that. You have a, yeah. Yeah, so same
1: day in Australia just later.
2: And also just you know to uh, taking a step back um and looking at basics that's a whole lot of earth right? Right. <laughs> that's one that's mercury yes. mercury sun saturn pluto mars and uranus all in earth and then joined by the moon briefly. That's a lot of earth and this um you know this summer has not been earthy. <laughs> right? It's been uh, it's been a lot of things. Um, but you, Kelly, when you were talking, it makes me think of what you're saying about kind of wrapping up the Mars retrograde stuff. Because so yeah, the actual retrograde motion is over. Like for me, I'm like, okay, and then I'm going to be ready to move forward on these things. But the actual process of picking up speed and moving forward um, is not instantaneous.
1: Uh-uh. You,
0: for okay. Mercury, is that what you're saying?
2: No, just in general, oh, it's, I was speaking about Mars, um, okay. but also about life, right? Like there's like, oh, okay. Been two months of rethinking things and getting rewriting battle plans. And then, then there's moving forward, but just the, um, the moment that you're ready to move forward, that doesn't mean that you're at, at, at top speed and, you know, taking names immediately. It takes a while to like, to put things into practice and get the wheels rolling, and there's all this sort of, you know, practical adjustment stuff, which I think is implied by the Saturn-Uranus-Mercury in Earth signs, right? It's like, okay, so this is how the shape of things needs to change in order to, um, you know, in order to move forward. Right. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And in some ways, this is really highlighting that almost the Saturn-Uranus trine piece, which to the Virgos amongst us, doesn't technically become exact as a trine because it doesn't perfect by minute. But Saturn is trine Uranus by degree, if you like, from mid-August to mid-September. And this is really a period where whatever that aspect might mean for you is kind of in the spotlight or really deeply highlighted and emphasized.
2: Right. And so um, my Saturn Virgo is glad you mentioned that. And then I'm going to Saturn Virgo further um, even though they do not complete a trine, Mercury carries the light from Uranus yes. to Saturn and so does the moon. So it gets completed T- yeah. by them.
1: It totally does. And then I love how our Saturn in Virgo is to just keep and thenning. Um, this will also hark back to the last weekend in August when the sun actually moved through that early part of Virgo and just activated the Saturn Uranus trine as well. So that idea of the translation of light, if you like, just that pulling this grand trine together or this collection. So Um, it's, it's one of those aspects, the Saturn Uranus that is kind of in the background and maybe overlooked, but is still uh, having an impact in this early part of September. Oh, yeah.
2: And, um, I can see that literally my office. I've been like rearranging where things are and unpacking boxes and deciding what I want to keep and what I'm going to, you know, throw away. Um, we've been, um, we've been working on the yard like crazy, like, Being like, okay, these plants can stay. These these aren't native here, and they're just gonna die unless we give them ten gallons of water every year. Like, it's literally just been earth reshaping and the location of object um, uh, um, uh, reallocating. It's been very physical.
1: Um, Yeah. Sorry, Chris.
0: No, go ahead. I was gonna say something else, but it's a side note, so you should go with what you were gonna say. Oh,
1: I, I was just gonna say, yeah, it's this this all this earth energy. I loved what you said, Austin, about working in the in the yard, in the garden, because it's really got a sense of like picking things up and putting them in different places or figuring out what needs to go completely and what completely new thing needs to come in. So it's very much on that material, physical, tangible level.
2: Yeah. Like, like what things do I need and what things don't I need? And of the things that I need, where do they go?
1: Yeah. Where's the best place for them?
0: I've seen some people um, struggling with that. One of the things that's interesting about Saturn stationing here in early Capricorn is this is the last time it's going to be this early in Capricorn. Uh, in terms of the first couple of degrees of Capricorn, it's never going to return, you know, back to this early for another thirty years. So some of the people that are, you know, have Saturn in early Capricorn and are going through their Saturn returns right now that have it super early in that sign, this is going to be like the peak. Saturn return period of it. And even though you're going to have some after effects that last for another few years as it continues to go through that sign, this is going to be the high point for some people. But I've even noticed some people with late Saturn and very late Sagittarius, like 29 degrees, who are still having major Saturn return stuff going on and still struggling with how to organize and how to restructure their lives or sometimes hitting a wall and having to make really hard decisions about what parts of their life to keep and what parts to let go. And for some of those people, I think this is going to be the final sort of um, wisp of whatever their Saturn return was about as Saturn is stationing um, at two degrees of Capricorn within the closest vicinity that it's going to make to any late Sagittarius placements for quite a while as well.
2: Yeah, that, uh, three things on that real quick. One, progressed Saturn could very well have moved into Capricorn for them. Uh, two, there's, um, uh, there's an Antitia, between like two, mm. you know, between two Capricorn and 28, uh, Sag, Sag, et cetera, et cetera. And then three, the Saturn return doesn't solve everything. You like don't, you don't come out of it like this perfect adult. Um, you're just kind of through that. Um, and so. It's also Saturn and Capricorn, and so whatever Capricorn is in your life is being asked to be taken to a whole new level of of organization with Saturn there. And some people may be mistaking that for their
0: Saturn return issue. Right, definitely. Um, I mean, one of them that was interesting, I, I saw like a horoscope writer who just got into the field doing like video horoscopes a year ago and just rose to like huge levels of success. And after a year of hitting it really hard, had like 20,000 subscribers on YouTube but then sort of hit this wall of becoming way too overwhelmed with what she was doing and having to stop for a while and suddenly after 12 months of doing it almost every day um like hasn't posted in like a month or, or or two or something like that and posted videos saying she has to sort things out and I think she ended up having Saturn at 29 Capricorn so that was a really interesting sort of late last gasp of the Saturn return type thing that she was going through
2: yeah and there's also, yeah, there's the, um there's also just the grind, you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, I wrote some monthly horoscopes or I did some, you know, I did a weekly for two months. Like, you know, when you get into like year five, it's a, <laughs> it, it, you know, Kelly knows what I'm talking about. Like the, that, the grind is real and excitement always wears off. Um It always comes back, but it always wears off.
1: You do. It, I think that's the you know, we talked earlier today about like business and things like that. Consistency is really important. And consistency isn't just repetition over a few weeks or a few months. It's about the years, you know, can you come back year after year? And part of, you know, setting yourself up for for success with that is being thoughtful about what it is you commit to being consistent with in the beginning.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's also just like, that's just Saturn and Capricorn talk, right? It's like, so. you know, can you keep this up forever?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Chris,
0: that's not a diss on you doing um, some horoscopes. Um, oh, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm trying to keep it up, actually, but the monthly is the best I could do. Like, I could never, I couldn't do like a weekly or something like that or a daily. It was- I think
1: for video, weekly would be a, a big ask. I don't know why I think that writing them would be easier, but...
0: I mean, writing would be a lot easier, and I've actually thought about that. But video, there's a whole lot of others, just like production and editing and post-production and uploading to YouTube and then writing an actual description at that point and adding keywords and like a thumbnail. And it's a whole thing that I've just been doing really intensely over the course of a a few days at the end of the past couple of months, but I actually messed up. I didn't get it together because we scheduled this forecast episode earlier than we usually do, so I didn't get a chance to do my horoscopes yet. So I don't have the as much background as I had going into it last time, although I still have a little bit more than I usually do all right, so Saturn cool. stationing direct, we've got a grand earth trine um one of the things I want to mention before we move off of this this is an issue we ran into at the elections this month, which is kind of like a larger decade long meta issue, but <laughs> normally, even though you know Mercury in Virgo, the sun there, the moon there, and everything else you you would Want to try to use for like a, a detail-oriented Mercury and Virgo type election that's very grounded. Um, every time we move into you know quote unquote Virgo season each year now, we end up with running into very quickly now for like the first half of the month that opposition with Neptune and Pisces. Yeah, and that's like a huge roadblock that's throwing in like a separate maybe roadblock isn't the right terminology <laughs> for Neptune. No, it's but- more, more than that, it-
2: that the uh, the road has been washed out
1: yeah it's right a flood. Well,
0: the, the road becomes like an abstract painting, and that you have to navigate um unsuccessfully we're in,
1: yeah we're in Monets lilies in the water right. pond
0: yeah, yeah um so so that's one of the issues like leading all the way up through the middle of the month is that Mercury doesn't clear Neptune until like September thirteenth that's when it hits the exact opposition. it looks like. And there's there's like a difference there between you know Mercury going through Virgo, applying to an opposition with Neptune versus Mercury separating from an opposition with Neptune, and then maybe being able to regain some of the clarity that it would have not had as much of as it was applying to it.
2: Yeah, and um, we looked at the same thing, and then you get this issue or potential issue with Mercury being extremely combust at this point mm. and there is the you know there is the idea that a planet in its exaltation or rulership can resist combustion um and that's i found that to be kind of true i mean maybe mm. i was looking at different things maybe maybe it's mercury at 20 in a sextile with jupiter so it's like getting a different aspect so it you know uh, to fully how should we say a full palate cleanser from the neptune aspect but um yeah that's uh
0: it is to be worked with and around sure um yeah so i just wanted to mention that and before we move on also in terms of the beginning of the month it doesn't happen in september but it might be worth i know we've talked about it a little bit but the the thing that happens right before we move into this month of course is that mars station at 28 degrees of capricorn thus ending technically ending the mars retrograde cycle Uh, so that Mars will be no longer retrograde by the time September opens. But then so much of this month is Mars starting to move forward again, and then starting to retread ground that it's already moved over over the past few months as it retraces its steps or retraces its shadow on the other side of the retrograde, and then eventually starts moving into Aquarius, squares Uranus, and starts doing all that other stuff as it moves through Aquarius.
2: Yeah, it's, we're kind of going to do, we're going to do it all over again, but this time direct. Mars is going to square Uranus. Mars is going to conjoin the South Node. And the, the, the baton pass moment that I think Kelly was probably thinking of is when Venus enters Scorpio and Mars reenters Aquarius at more or less the same time. And they're both in a
1: ninth and tenth. And they're, Yeah. yeah, and they're
2: both in a T square with Uranus and the moon conjoins, um, I believe, uh 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 conjoins one of them. <laughs> I believe <laughs> um it's just setting off the uh, like it's already a tease that's already pretty tense. It's Venus in its shadow, Mars on the other side of its shadow. Um, and then we have uh Uranus uh in hard angles to both of them with the moon hitting it. What is it, the thirteenth, maybe? Eleventh, thirteenth? Um
1: the ninth and tenth. Ninth when, and tenth. Um yeah, when Mars and Venus change signs,
2: right, and then the Moon hits Venus a few days after that, reactivating it. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, and so that's that's really like that's a handoff because we've got literally the same dynamics that we dealt with with Mars and the dynamics that we're gonna be dealing with with Venus a
0: couple more times. Right, because this is the first of three oppositions with Uranus. Um, yes. As well as what will be three? Squ- will it end up being three squares with Mars, or does Mars escape, escape the third
2: one? Uh, just one. Just one square with Mars. Well, yeah. there. Well, there, okay. technically, there are two because Venus passes. Venus makes a square. Venus in Libra makes a square with Mars in yes. Capricorn, but then Venus is slowing down, and so Mars catches up, and we have another square in um in Scorpio
0: and Aquarius. Okay. So. Yeah, and and Venus of course is in its shadow at this point. Um, I actually wrote down the date on that because it happens relatively early in the month. So like
1: Venus the third, is third, I think.
0: Yeah, I wrote down September second. So September second, September third, Venus enters its shadow when it moves over twenty five degrees of Libra, because mm. that's the degree that it'll it'll eventually station, it'll retrograde and station back at. It'll return back to that degree later. So that means that we're already. Really ramping up for the Venus retrograde as soon as the month opens on September 2nd. And that's going to be one of the major things that will eventually start to characterize, um, this period, even though the full Venus retrograde doesn't start. The period doesn't start until the beginning of October.
2: Yeah. The, the, the shadows will begin gathering though. The desires will become more complicated and obscure.
0: Right, and we have to guess that a par- large part of that is going to have to do with that cluster that occurs around September tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, when you have that Venus Mars square, the Venus Uranus opposition, and and everything else.
2: Yeah, that's a uh, um, I don't know. It's
1: Quite the cluster. Yeah, that's
2: like put your hide your relationship in the bomb shelter for a few days.
1: <laughs> it's it is very intense, very intense.
2: It
0: will be, sure. Um, so, let I me mean, let's talk about why is that? Why why would a Venus opposite Uranus square Mars be not be something that could be explosive or could be um, problematic for let's say relationships?
1: There's just a lot of friction there. It's got this volatile feeling. You've got, I mean, it's a Mars is going to be moving to square Uranus, which doesn't peak until the 18th, but Venus is involved too. So it's like. Extra complications, disagreements, difference of opinions. Even if we think Venus and Mars, you know, it's difference in, you know, pleasure or desire or satisfaction and the tension between two people that may sometimes normally be on the same page. So that it's like it's there's friction um, and there's something else I want to say about the Venus component, but it keeps falling out of my head.
0: I mean, part of it, part of the context of this Venus retrograde is interesting to me because it's a Venus retrograde in Scorpio and that's like a very distinctive oh, yeah, Venus placement.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Uh, how would you Sorry. describe Venus in Scorpio, Kelly?
1: Oh, Venus in Scorpio. Well, I mean, the first word that comes to mind is very seductive, but you know, there is a secretive component, but there is also a sharp component because she's in Mars's sign. Mm-hmm. So, Part of what I think also makes this sort of it's almost like a T square. It is a T square, is that there's the rulership piece as well. So Venus is in Mars's sign, Uranus is in Venus's sign, and Venus and Mars are in the square pattern. So it it just looks like uh, a lot of that tension. I mean, Venus in Scorpio is looking for loyalty. I always think of Jodie Foster, the actress. She gave this speech years ago when she. Won some award and she basically just talked about love people and keep them beside you. And I thought that was a very Venus in Scorpio sort of st- statement that you, you know, when you love someone, you hold on to them, you keep them there. And, you know, what does the keeping them there look and feel like when oh, Mars right. and Uranus involved? Like I- I'm not sure people want to be kept there. And yeah. that's the sort of the difference between I want to keep you. Well, I don't want to be kept kind of thing.
0: Right, and because you're in a supposing that is almost like an external sort of factor that's coming in from the outside that's causing instability in in that in in whatever Venus wants to be holding on to. I a mean, lot it, of
1: instability, the destabilization not, with Mars there for sure.
0: Yeah, and even Mars on top of that, since Mars's general significations usually are the opposite of also kind of like removing or severing things. Yeah,
1: severing is a good word. Yeah, Austin.
2: Yeah, so I was thinking about this the other day and it occurred to me so if we there are certain pairs of planets in astrology that have an inherently uh complementary relationship where one kind of defines the other um, the Sun and Moon being the most archetypal of those. But Mars and Venus are also paired in a lot of ways, right? They're complementary colors. They're green and red. One is the next planet closer to the Sun. One is the next planet further out from the Sun, you know, and they're, they're love and strife. Um, and we're always balancing those in our, you know, our relationships. And so just in terms of like, um, you know, asking whether this is a period where Mars and Uh, Venus, where, whether we can find balance between those principles of love and strife. This is a very difficult, um, moment, especially because we have Mars who's just come out of a really big change, um, and looking and acting different. And then we have Venus who's just about to go into a really big change, right? And so neither one of them are like exactly on solid ground and they're both in signs where they don't have a lot of dignity. Right. Meaning that they don't fit really easily with right. what's going on around them. And so that's, that's tricky in and of itself. Um, but then you have the South Node with Mars and then you have Uranus, um, squaring and opposing the two. And so it's just like, like that's a lot of being, it, it's a lot of, um, as we say, it's a lot of like sudden change energy, um, um, that's being thrown at what's already kind of a, difficult if archetypal um, balancing act between the Venusian and the Marshall. And even though this is an interesting moment and we'll see it in the news, it's a moment, especially in people's personal lives, it's going to kind of lead into um, the next quarter.
1: Right. Yeah, because one thing, I know we will talk more about this in the October episode, but the, to make the point that Venus retrogrades on these eight year cycles back in the same sign, uh, so that we've got these very specific Uranus complications to the Venus retrograde in Scorpio this year. That's unique for 2018. But to, if you, for our listeners, if they want to get a general sense of what Venus in Scorpio might mean for them in terms of the context of their chart, think back to the october november period of 2010 which was the last time we had this specific venus in scorpio retrograde cycle uh so we're sort of you know this is september so it's the build up and the same way that september 2010 was like the build up to that period 8 years ago
0: right and then 8 years before that the 2002 one i, I yes. remember that that one that was like gut wrenching relationship issues i saw happening in like my life and friends lives around me that one was really distinctive. And I don't remember why that was or if there was other things going on like there was with this one where it's like opposing Uranus and squaring Mars that makes it more distinctive than others. But having a, a Venus retrograde in Scorpio, there's something unique about that because Venus in Scorpio is one of those signs that's much more distinctive for me than, you know, some of the other placements. Uh Austin, we didn't did we get your thoughts on like Venus and Scorpio in general? Somebody Arthur's asking in the comments. Oh, um, I, I,
2: uh, I'm reminded of something I wrote the other day, which is, uh, I wrote, I, I described Venus and Scorpio as alternately darkly delicious and negative and needy. Nice.
1: Yeah. I think that's something that's not often said about planets in Scorpio is some of the emotional neediness or holding onness of, of planets there. Uh, so it is good to keep that in the back of our minds. And Chris, I just had a quick look. The complicating factor to the Venus retrograde in 2002 was a square to Neptune in Aquarius.
0: Okay. Right. Neptune was still going through Aquarius. That was that was fun. It was a fun time. Fun times? Well, that was when it was going over my rising sign and moon and everything and squaring all my Scorpio stuff, whereas you guys, or you at least, have got it going through your rising sign now.
1: Yes. Yes, I do have- uh... Neptune everywhere. Well, I think I'm a little done with Neptune for now, but it, it has been it has been there. Uh, so, I guess, yeah, Venus and Scorpio, we're all going to get to know her a little bit more yeah. in the next couple of months.
0: Yeah, and that's not fully kicking in. We don't have the station until obviously until October. October 5th, I think, is when Venus stations retrograde in Scorpio. But already with Venus um, moving it into its shadow, and especially when it moves into Scorpio on September 8th and 9th, that's when you know, all this is going to start to constellate and fully start to come together. So, we have that to look forward to. What else is going on at the beginning of the month that we should talk about? We talked about Mars, we talked about Venus. Mercury, you guys already touched upon this, but I just wanted to mention, I mean, it's moving really fast again, and it leaves its shadow already at 23 degrees of Leo by the 1st of September. So, I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was interesting that the month actually opens with Mercury fully clearing its shadow on the first of the month, if I'm calculating that correctly.
1: Yeah, it is. I I do think it's interesting that even though Venus and Mars are still, you know, figuring out how to get the groove on, Mercury is just flying through the sky this month. So, there, and and that period with Mercury and Virgo, it, it sort of feels like maybe, you know, wrapping up loose ends or dealing with some- you know, schedules or planning matters that have been a little stuck with that extended Mercury and Leo. I know that Mercury and Virgo is not without its complications because of the combustion to the sun and the opposition to Neptune, but we're still going to have a slightly more productive Mercury because it's in Virgo than what we've had with Mercury and Leo these past few months. Oh
2: definitely. Um yeah. so we did miss the the new moon in Virgo, which is the, f- oh, yeah. the <laughs> first lunation yes. of the month. It's okay. It's easy to miss. It's opposite Neptune. It's concealed.
1: Yeah. That's on the 9th, I think, Chris. Uh, It's kind of in that Venus-Mars-Uranus.
0: It's right before that.
1: stuff, Yeah.
0: So it's right after. um, So Venus has just ingressed into Scorpio, it looks like, but Mars has not quite made it into Aquarius yet. And we have a new Moon that takes place at, uh, what is it? Late 16 degrees of Virgo. Yeah, 16 degrees of Virgo is a a new Moon in uh, September, September 9th. So um, this is like opposite within two degrees to Neptune, so it's bringing up some of those dynamics or it looks like that's one of the main signatures going on there. We have the very start of the Venus-Uranus opposition since Venus has just moved into Scorpio and it's two degrees away from perfecting the opposition with Uranus. Uh, what else is there about this?
2: Well, in terms of the tone it sets, right, it's actually a pretty self-sufficient little lunation. You have the sun and the moon in the same sign as the ruler of that sign. Yeah. Um, and I think that it, it actually, it's the word, um, coheres well with the lots of things in earth signs. Um, it's very much a like, you know, get it together. Like there's a lot, you know, this summer probably left a few things out of place. Like make sure to get all that done. Um, despite the fact that Neptune is over there trying to distract you. <laughs> um, because, you know, yes, there, are, there's a few touchy moments this month. Um, and Venus is in the shadow, but you know, next month it's going to, most of it is going to have the sun in Venus ruled Libra with a Venus that is retrograde. And so that's when it, you know, that's that. Uh, and there's some other stuff next month that is going to be much more. should we say emotionally distracting as much as September is not a completely clear open space. um, There's a lot of, there's a lot more to get done. A lot of little adjustments that you can make to tighten up your ship for, you know, our last challenge of the year, which will be the Venus retrograde. I think this, um, this new moon speaks to that pretty clearly. It's also tightly sextile Jupiter, which is nice. Yeah. Like there's a lot of like, You know, as long as you don't, you know, get wasted, uh, every day, um, (laughs) like, you know, Neptune, um, there's a lot, there's a lot here that can help you get it done. Just get all the stuff that, you know, should have been done. Um, get that squared away, get prepared, get a little bit ahead coming into next month so that if things go a little wacky and your emotional bandwidth is down because you're retroing with Venus, that, you know, you, you've taken care of some things ahead of time.
0: Yeah that, yeah, that those applications, the sextiles of all the Virgo planets to Jupiter is a nice feature of the early month, early part of the month that I just wish we could take more advantage of without them all opposing Neptune first before they they get there.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, the, the sextile to Jupiter from the lunation is really nice, and it does remind me. And um, Arthur was reading my mind. I did want to ba- uh, briefly mention. That Jupiter sextile Pluto aspect, which is coming up on the 12th of September. It's the third, uh, activation of, it's, I mean, I know it's not a major outer planet square, but it is some outer planet action, if you like, for this month. And it speaks a little to the longer Jupiter and Scorpio trend, as well as the longer Pluto in Cap trend. But we're getting a bit of of that vibe coming through this week. And this sort of middle week of September, if you like, the week starting the 10th, it is really interesting because we've got those complicating Venus, Mars, Uranus squares and oppositions. But we also have this weird sort of kind of productive or like obsessive about getting it done energies with the the new moon in Virgo and then the Jupiter-Pluto sextile coming through as well.
2: Yeah. I like the the moment on the 16th where we have um, Mercury trining um, Pluto and sextiling Jupiter while Jupiter and Pluto are sextile. Um, Jupiter Mm -hmm. at the midpoint of uh, Mercury-Pluto. I kind of like all of that at once.
1: So that's the middle weekend, the 15th, 16th. Yeah. That looks like it could be the most functional, I guess.
2: Yeah. It's a little like Um, it's, I, I could see that being good for a couple things. Um, in, in one sense, it's very therapy, right? We've got Mercury and Pluto, Mercury and Pluto, right? And then the midpoint is that Jupiter and Scorpio, which also has sort of an underworldly stench about it, like getting into, getting way into things and then like getting something good out of it, whether that's like mm, psychotherapeutic. I could also see that being really good, a really good time to go on a research bender to like just mm. go super deep on something.
1: Yeah, the research vibe for sure. That's just that in, d- digging and discovering, I'm trying to say two words at once. The investigating, if you like, and then finding something in all the the data or the information that that's really valuable.
0: Yeah, sure. That's probably the that's probably one of the best aspects of Scorpio in general is the investigative aspect, which is probably just connected with Mars ultimately and the idea of piercing something, but what you're piercing is um, into deep into something in terms of research or, or finding the truth or what have you in terms of a positive manifestation of Scorpio, especially with something like Jupiter there, which is one of its primary significations is um, truth or justice.
2: Yeah, definitely. That reminds me of um, an aspect of Mars or a facet of Mars, which is emphasized in the uh, Vedic tradition that I've been studying in, um, and they, uh, they associate Mars with intelligence, but mm. intelligence that is directed, um, in a very specific way towards ends. And so they say, Oh yeah, Mars can grant like knowledge and skill and intelligence in an area, but it's not a balanced or well-rounded intelligence. It's in one direction. Like the engineer is not a philosopher. Right, it's like I know how to do this, mm. and um, that that's struck me uh, as being true when I think of like Marzi people and their intelligence. It's like they're good at that, um, and it it yeah. doesn't it it like you were like you know w- w- remind me about that is this like research the the going deep the piercing um is by nature um uh projecting in one direction, whereas Jupiter has this um sort of naturally holistic growing in all directions a more spherical expansion where you know mars has that arrow that pokes out
0: right the ability to single mindedly focus on something and that's sometimes then why people i don't want to say confused but also modern astrologers quickly often associate parts of pluto with scorpio probably because of also Pluto has that obsessive quality sometimes which has similar overlapping sort of functions in terms of like overlap in terms of obsessiveness.
2: Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, side topic, um I think we need a better term than modern astrologers um because literally we are modern astrologers. Um right. I don't know what the better term is. I know, you know, we use that term to like designate people with a particular approach. But um, <laughs> like, are I mean, for, are we not modern? Are we not of the present day?
0: I mean, for a while in the earlier part of this decade, I was playing around with uh, calling our myself or other people like postmodern astrology, like what comes after modern astrology, and calling it postmodern astrology. But that ended up not really taking off and sounded kind of lame. So yeah, we probably need something better than that.
2: Yeah, or just something a little bit more descriptive. Right. Not like when it happened,
0: but what is the approach. And maybe well, in, in order to in order to do that though, we'd have to somehow characterize like twentieth century, especially late twentieth because usually what we mean by modern astrology actually isn't even didn't fully form until the last few decades yeah, I, of the twentieth century.
2: Yeah, I, I use late twentieth century astrology from time to time. You know, late twentieth century approaches to astrology, which include <laughs> X, Y, and Z.
1: We are really getting our Virgo on today.
2: Well, we're <laughs> we're 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 vibing with the planetary placements yeah. that we're observing.
1: That correct. I think
2: this happened during our last September episode too. I think we got like super bogged down slash obsessed with details. <gasps>
1: With very little specifics. Yeah. yeah, like minute specifics Like is that
2: exactly the right word for that? Right.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it is such a Virgo thing to do though. No, that's not quite right. This word with, you know, basically the same meaning is just a little bit better. Let's
2: move it an inch to the left.
0: Right. I'm convinced
1: not that all of those people,
0: yeah. if you ever watch like YouTube videos and like you scroll to the comments and you see that one person that is like noticed the most minute thing uh that's weird in the video that's like somebody's off in the background and you and they noticed somebody in the crowd who's like a celebrity or something like that that nobody paying attention to the main thing in the video ever would have noticed i'm i'm convinced that those people have like a lot of virgo placements or like a virgo stellium or something like that
1: cuz who else would notice
0: right well it's just a great manifestation of virgo the ability to focus on or sometimes obsess about that which is very small yeah so the sun actually just went into Virgo. We're only we're at right now. It's at zero fifty four Virgo, and conjunct the fixed star Regulus. Right, Regulus World just Regulus moved Day. in. It's a thing. Yeah. So what is this? People, tell me about this. I've only heard <laughs> about this in passing.
1: Austin, you'll have to speak on behalf of Kate.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, um, Kate and Michael Luton put together because uh, Kate was do did a, a Regulus series for Sphere and Sundry earlier this year. And Michael Luton's been on been banging the Regulus drum for a while now. And um they decided to do a little collaboration um and declare it World Regulus Day when the sun conjoins regulus. Uh, and they put together a little ritual protocol for you know, for honoring that and, you know, getting a little bit more regulus in your life, which most of us could use.
0: And I'm Right. And I remember he was making a big deal about that at UAC. Uh, Back in 2012. And I think his play was like themed with Regulus and Virgo because Regulus is the, for people that don't know, is like the heart in the constellation of Leo or the constellation of the lion and has always traditionally been associated with, you know, Leo, the the zodiacal sign Leo. But now that fixed star has actually processed due to procession and it's now moved into Virgo, um, like at least a few years ago.
2: Yeah. Kate and Michael collaborated on a, a piece of writing and put that out. That's really interesting. That looks at what does it look like for Regulus to shine through, through Virgo rather than Leo? Mm. Um, and it's actually, it's actually, it's really interesting. And I, I did my little Regulus day, uh, ritual today about three hours ago. It was nice.
1: Excellent. I yeah. Like it's that. a very powerful start to work with. Yeah.
2: It really is. It's, um, you know it's uh it's very solar in a way that almost no stars feel solar but it has so many it has so many things in common with the sun in that it has to do with being visible and courageous and um wiping away or clearing up melancholy as i believe what Agrippa said and it totally does that i actually did um mm. i remember i tested that clearing up melancholy thing like i don't know like 8 years ago Um, I was really, I was, uh, rather, um, feeling rather negative as I do sometimes. And I was like, Oh, moon's about to conjoin Regulus. And so I did a little thing with Agrippa's seal and then felt like instantly better. Um, which I was like, Okay. So that's what he's talking about. Got it. I
0: like that idea of, uh, astrologers trying to reconcile like the sidereal zodiac with the tropical astrologers, basically trying to integrate elements of the sidereal zodiac by looking at. When the fixed stars process into different tropical signs, and then the tropical signs taking on sometimes different qualities based on which fixed stars have moved into them. And you almost kind of see Ptolemy trying to do something like that 2000 years ago when he's establishing the tropical zodiac as the primary reference point. But it's interesting seeing astrologers try to do that now when you have major fixed star shifts like, like Regulus going into Virgo. And the question of does that import some. Leo like qualities into that sign.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's there's a um wouldn't you interpret somebody who had a 0 degree Virgo sun differently if there was a one of the most potent fixed stars there. You know, absolutely you right. would. Just like, you know, like the end of Taurus has Kaput Algol, right? Like I don't yeah. I don't treat those nativities like they're totally normal Taurus people because they're not. They've got some they got some other they got some other sauce in their, (laughs) on their meal, um, that's not Torian at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, Regulus moved into, uh, tropical Virgo, I think it was back in 2011 and there was a a fair bit of stuff that was out around then. And it is really interesting to think about the difference because Regulus had been in tropical Leo for more than 2000 years you know the qualities of leadership that might be associated with um you know regulus vibing through leo versus uh regulus vibing through virgo and it is it's a super powerful star to check in around and for those people who are listening who might have a sun that's a little bit challenged in their chart you can kind of tap into some of the positive solar qualities by working with regulus rather than doing some stuff um which can be a little a way to balance that out
2: yeah they um one of the when when Kate did that regular series of stuff earlier this year, and it came out really good um you know one she found that it like so she's got a mid heaven very early virgo, she found it like activated her mid heaven in a way that it never had mm. been before, and it was almost you know she started seeing it and and speaking about it it's almost like a a solar hack right um yes and um yeah it it certainly seems to work that way
0: and i don't know if anyone if we want to get into this but a lot of astrologers over the past 2 days have been mentioning this being the 1 year anniversary from the solar eclipse a year ago and a lot of people were talking about the solar eclipse being on trump's uh ascendant and sun or ascendant primarily at 29 degrees of leo and then 1 year later exactly 1 year later the sun comes back to that position at 29 degrees leo and then the 2 Um, trials just concluded, I think, the same day, the Cohen trial and the other one with his campaign chairman. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
2: I would say that's certainly very interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's not not concluded yet because one of the big questions a lot of people were talking about that's been still up in the air is what was the effect of the eclipse on Trump's ascendant? And was that just about Trump's becoming the president basically at that point in the first year of his presidency and and leading the country and everything in, involved with that or that was also the point when some of this stuff with some of the investigations with Mueller started after the the special counsel was appointed just a few like a, a month or two prior to that and then some of these investigations started which are now evidently turning into stuff with some of these trials actually taking place
2: yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Uh, it's I kind of stopped following it at some point just because it seemed like a part-time job to keep up with everything and try to figure out what mm. any of the developments meant and if they were really developments or not. But um, it would be very interesting to look back in, say, two years uh, because i think we'll probably see we'll be able to see the story structure and we'll be able to uh see that relative to the astrology and it'll probably be really clear in retrospect <laughs> but um it's difficult to see as an american in the present you know we're so close to it
0: yeah i mean that's the whole thing for me is people keep asking about it but the the loosing of the bond isn't over yet there's still another year and a half or something so i think it concludes in early 2020 and then whatever that was about in Trump's chart will be fully clear and sort of finished by then. So we'll see what happens. Um, All right, so back to the forecast. There's kind of a gap in the middle of the month, I think. Uh, So we have Mars moving into Aquarius September 10th-ish, Jupiter sextile Pluto exact September 12th. But then the next thing I have written down, the next major shift isn't until like the 21st and 22nd when- Uh, No, Mars Uranus. Uh, Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Yeah.
0: Oh, am I skipping over? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to be like building that whole
2: middle of the month, like that Mars doesn't com- as
1: soon as Mars goes into Aquarius. Yeah.
2: Mars doesn't, um, okay. make an exact square to Uranus until like was it 18th, 19th, but, 18th, but yeah. the, uh, it's within like, it's within two degrees for a week and a half leading up to that. So that's going to get pinged you know, on every Mars hour, on every Mars day, and every time the moon, you know, hits either of them. So like that's, there's a lot, there's a
0: lot there. There it is. So September 18th, it looks like is when that Mars Uranus um, square goes exact at one one degree of Aquarius and one degree of Taurus.
1: Yes. And I mean, when I think about the, the second half of September, we've got the Mars square Uranus on the 18th. We also have Mars then conjunct the south node on the 26th and we have a lunation in between that is in a Mars ruled sign. We have the full moon in Aries on the 24th. So there are these kind of weird Mars frustrations or moments, shall we say, activations. And Austin, just what you said there, like every time we have a Mars hour or a Mars day, we're getting kind of the final repetition of this Mars Uranus south node craziness that's been going on the last few months. And the feeling that I had was this, it's like the final purge, the final break, the resolution to whatever that frustration and that need for freedom that has been building really since early May when Mars first went into Aquarius and squared Uranus.
2: Yeah. I I think for a lot of people that even though, you know, this is um, uh, volatile stuff, Mars, Uranus, right? Um I think that there's going to be because this is the third time. I think there's going to be a lot yeah. of like and you know and like and I am breaking free. I am, you know, Mars yes. Mars Uranus can also be super empowering where you're like those li- I'm
1: done or I'm doing it. You know
2: like breaking through internal limits that you've been circling around and like, "Oh, I don't know." Like I you know, I think some people are going to have a very Positive Mars Uranus experience it probably won't look that way in the news. like if we look at like events on a collective scale, it'll probably just look like you know surprising and unpleasant things. But like on a personal level, I think there's gonna be a like sort of a positive unleashing for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I agree I, because it is the third of three. Like I'm totally with you on this, Austin. It's not the first time. It's not the new shock. It's not the, oh, my God, I have to change this. It's like I have finally figured out how to make the change or to push through or to step away, whatever it happens to be. Like insert personally relevant um, metaphor or action state here.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I. Yeah.
0: Um, yes. Yes. Um, I think is it's that the highest, highest manifestation of Mars and Uranus in their like best states is the ability to like separate yourself or to cut something out that's not productive in order to achieve liberation in some
2: sense. Yeah. Well, and to push past all, all limits um, in the pursuit of achievement um, to, you know, to, um, to stop doubting yourself or worrying what people are going to say and just be like, nope, I'm doing this. This is going to be awesome. It's time to rock and roll. Not everybody, not everybody's going to have that, but like they're def, like that's going to be one of the, you know, three main, uh, species of experience with this one, I think.
1: Totally. And I mean, there's a very sort of, um, Okay, common concept in modern astrology, however we want to define it based on our earlier conversation. But that idea of authenticity, you know, Mars Uranus is very much about like what is right for you? How do you need to buck tradition or break away from convention so that you do something that is in the spirit of your own uniqueness or your own inus that is not kowtowing or bowing down to the expectations or pressures of society or culture or others in some way.
0: I think it's it's funny because while I can see that being the most empowering, like positive interpretation in the highest sense, I could also pe- see people thinking that that's what they're doing, or mistaking that that's what they're doing, and and just like cutting things out or creating chaos yeah. in their life or in in a partner's life or something like that under that premise. But in actuality, they're just you know doing something totally destru- destructive and like erratic or unhinged that isn't necessarily constructive. Oh, yeah, there'll be some of that too.
1: They'll be the wild and crazy.
0: Right. Yeah, that's always funny. And it's it's a funny thing as I've been doing the horoscopes, like figuring out how to frame that and trying to get both of those in. Um, but yeah. sometimes it's hard to always articulate both sides of that each way without sometimes it being negative. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but for some reason I got the most negative feedback On my Leo horoscopes, anytime I would say something like even like moderately negative, a lot of the Leo readers evidently would get really depressed and like really upset or like take it really personally. Have you guys seen like reactions like that of individual like sun signs or rising signs before?
2: Yeah, um, I can see how your angle isn't um, inherently solar or sunny. Not to say that it's, you know, bad or negative. Uh, I mean, I'm the same. Like, if, if you think about like archetypal sun and Leo, like, what a thing, what does the world look like from that point of view? Um, right. it looks very different. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've definitely like, there, there, I would, I would have like runs where like people will consistently complain about how I'm dealing with X sign. And then next year I'll get, you know, um, I'll, I'll you know, it'll be the Sages that are unhappy or whoever. But yeah, I've I've gotten sign specific um, critique uh, on
0: and off for years. Have you altered or like adjusted how you speak to different signs as a result of that by knowing what their sort of um, I don't know approach is going to be or how they're going to respond to certain things?
2: Sometimes, and sometimes I do it anyway. Um, I don't know. It kind of depends on. I I kind of feel like I'm doing different stuff when I write horoscopes at different times. Some some like I'm gonna try to support everybody. Um, now then I'm like I'm gonna give these people exactly the shit that I think that they need. Um, you know, and so I don't know. You know, I I I certainly listen to feedback. I don't I don't always incorporate it. Um, but I do think about it and whether I agree or disagree and why. Sure.
1: Yeah, totally. Because sometimes you get the feedback and you think that's a fair point, but that's Mm -hmm. sometimes then you're like, that's actually what I was trying to say, or that was the point I was trying to make. So while they may not have liked it, that was actually where I was coming from. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, that's what I was trying to do. I'm sorry if you didn't like it, but I met my intention. And, And other times it's like, oh, wow. Okay. If that came across that way, then maybe I didn't, you know, express myself clearly or what have you. So... The feedback is always good to have, I find, because at least it, it's thought provoking,
0: right? Definitely, um, and shows that people are like connecting with it in some way, even if and having a reaction to it of some sort. So, anyways, it just raised an issue with this because this is obviously such a polarizing in terms of the way that it could manifest in the different extremes—Mars, Uranus aspects, especially hard aspects—and the ability for, on the one hand, like sudden liberation, and on the other hand, sudden. I don't know, disruption or destruction. Um, I wonder sometimes if people accidentally couldn't use the empowering delineation as an excuse to do something stupid, basically. They definitely can. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, and this is the, one of the tricky balances because, yeah, something that's maybe a little too positive is like can give someone false confidence. And then something that's incredibly negative or not negative, but something that's more like, you know one of the more difficult possibilities of Mars Uranus is like you get the the rug pulled out from under your feet in a way that you just absolutely weren't expecting, mm. and that is going to be the case for some people but not for everyone
0: right all right well, I guess that's one of our our challenges then as astrologers is as a broader issue. that's probably like one of the key issues actually It has to be of all astrologers writing, even doing delineations or consultations has to be walking that line between those two extremes or two approaches yep. Absolutely. All right. Cool. So um, the Mars Uranus. This is the final. This is the third and final Mars Uranus square, and then we're finally done with that, which was so much a part of the retrograde cycle. Um, it looks like a few days later, Mars moves over the South Node again one more time. So that's the last one of one of your favorite aspects of this year, I think, Austin. Yeah.
2: Well, and um, and in the meantime, as Kelly mentioned, we have a, we have our second lunation of the month.
0: Right. So it looks like this occurs on September 24th. We've got a full Moon in Aries. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is right after the Sun moved into Aries only a day or two earlier. Um, and this full Moon takes place at one degree of Aries uh, on late on September 24th in the US.
1: Yeah. So it's just after the sun's moved into Libra for the equinox. And another thing that I wanted to just mention briefly is I do always find it a little telling when we have a lunation or, or a full moon, I should be specific, right near a solstice point or an equinox point, you know, within a couple of days of that just seems to trigger a little bit more. Um, you know, weather events seem to be a little bit more dramatic. And I think there's also a correlation around, you know, emotional and psychological states when we get a full moon right near an equinox or a solstice. I wasn't sure if you guys had noticed that.
0: Um I've heard people saying that for a long time. That it's more dynamic when it's closer to the equinoxes and the solstices. Yeah, that the that the uh yeah, the those those those
2: quarter points, the zero degrees uh cardinal um have more
0: have more juice sure yeah definitely that make that makes sense yeah. i mean that's that important turning point especially in terms of the sun and its light reaching into a new quarter of the entire seasonal cycle at that point
2: yeah it's reasonable it's not something
0: i've focused on but it's i i think it sounds right to me i mean and, and the symbolism of that maybe we could delve into that because there's such an interesting symbolism with that in this instance because we have the sun going into to libra And that's the the halfway point between the like in the northern hemisphere the southern solstice where the days are the longest, and in the northern hemisphere the other one in Capricorn when the days are the shortest and the night is the longest. And here we have the halfway point when the sun moves into Libra, when the days start getting shorter. And in some of the ancient texts, like in Rhetorius, he tries to say that that's the reason why the sun has its fall in Libra because that's when the light starts to diminish. And starts to be lessened or starts to sort of fall fall apart or fall away. Um, but on the other end of that, so we have the sun just starting that sort of quarter of the year. But on the other end of that, we have the moon actually being at the height of its brightness, hitting a full moon and opposing the sun in the opposite sign of Aries. So there's this like weird light dark um, polarity going on here, even with just those two. And then you throw into the mix that Saturn is also squaring both of them from two degrees of Capricorn um, at near the winter solstice at which is at zero degrees of Capricorn. And Saturn, of course, is a planet that's typically associated with things like darkness. So there's some weird light-dark polarity thing going on here symbolically. Symbolically in late September.
2: Yeah, definitely. And to bring it back to Mars, as Kelly pointed out, that's a Mars ruled lunation, and this is Mars. Um, right after squaring Uranus, and right before conjoining the South Node again for the uh, the third time, and so as far as like really finishing up, like um, you know, getting the uh, uh, scraping the the bottom of the barrel of getting all of the consequences of this Mars cycle out into the open and in place, like this lunation serves to do that. Right. Because it hits a, its Mars rule just as as Mars is replicating um, uh, replicating the connections it had uh, two previous times.
1: Yeah, the word when I was prepping this was actually that that kept coming up for me, Austin, was was your word from one of our earlier shows uh, over the past few months around purification with this Mars-South node combo, the fires, mm. the idea of the fires of purification. So to me, this really felt like, okay, what is the last thing that you need to throw in the fire or what is something that needs to be maybe purged or cleansed in some way? Uh, because again, it is that, you know, third of three. Uh, but it just felt like that final uh, final purge.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and adding to that, that it's a full moon and a fire sign. Arguably the fieriest yeah. of the fire signs.
1: <laughs> yes. So a little drama to be expected. Basically.
2: Yeah. But then there's that Saturn um, squaring both the sun and the moon really tightly. Um, what, do you guys, what do you all think about that?
0: Right. I mean, that seems like a, a dampening effect or, or something that's holding back uh otherwise like a fiery full moon that it's, it's at the peak of its brightness at the same time as soon as it comes off of that full moon it immediately applies to the square with Saturn. So it's like it runs into a wall like immediately after that, as soon as it start, moves into the waning cycle. So it's like starting off the waning cycle where the moon's brightness starts to decrease by like immediately hitting a planet that's often associated with slowness and darkness. And then
2: hitting Mars exactly immediately after that. Um yeah no but the the like there's all that Marsy stuff but the the Saturn like sitting on mm-hmm. that lunation it's like it, it's um sort of demanding that it be controlled or you know kept mm-hmm. in a particular area bounded um and you know now that I'm looking at this I don't love the fact that this is a full moon that is tightly aspecting both malefics and zero benefics
1: mm-hmm. Yeah yeah, because the benefics are completely, you know, averse to this lunation. Uh, the 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 Saturn feels frustrating, and it feels like there's almost this undercurrent of melancholy, uh, which is a Saturn thing, and a, and it it's a a quality associated with the the moon going into that particular quarter just after the full moon. Uh, so there is it's this weird kind of appearing to be fiery, but with this sort of earthy melancholy undertone
0: yeah right like when you it' it's that thing of like once you hit the peak of something you realize once you've re- reached the high point, there's usually a sense of like jubilation, but also once you've hit the highest point, there's gonna be like a coming down after that or or you've only gone, gone as high as you possibly can, and everything else has to be sort of coming down from that or is gonna be lesser in some sense,
1: yeah the cooling calming slowing like. A friend of mine's, a brother rode in the Olympics many years ago for Australia. He was a wonderful athlete, but you know, Olympic athletes talk about like the post Olympic come down. And that's kind of the analogy that feels relevant here that you build up to something and you strive for something or you work towards something. And then afterwards, there's a bit of nothingness. And where do you go from there?
0: Right. There's like a sobering quality to it.
1: Yeah. Very sobering.
0: This feels
2: really like the necessity of hmm mm, mm, assert
1: such a good Saturn word anyway necessity yeah
2: it's one of my favorite um like um control the necessity of using controlled force and assertion that like you know when you have mars and saturn together you have this like need for oh uh, you know a very focused controlled power Right. Or or asserted like that. There's a little bit of a like, okay, this is the way it's got to be. I've got to do that. It's not just like, do me. Right. Like, you know, it's, you know, like Mm -hmm. that Mars Uranus, the positive side of that is like, yes, me. But then with this lunation, it's like, yes, you within these particular parameters, like you can do that, but it needs to be within this shape and, you know, inside the lines and on this timeline.
0: Sure. And and finally, while we're talking about Saturn, of course, squaring from Capricorn, there's one more station. This is actually the third station that occurs in Capricorn. And this is one of the things that stood out the most to me when I was looking at it. Because the first two take place at the beginning of the month where we have Mars station direct in late Capricorn, then a little bit later, we have Saturn stationing direct in Capricorn. But then we get the third planet stationing there towards the end of the month, and that's Pluto um, stationing direct at 18 degrees of Capricorn right at the very end of the month around September 30th. Yeah. So that's stood out to you as well, Kelly.
1: Yeah. I just, um, I've been prepping my um, September stuff for stellar insights and yeah, I thought, gosh, that's sort of, I mean, it's weird just from a a calendar perspective because it's right at the end of the month, but I hadn't thought about it in the context you were talking about with the Saturn station and the Pluto station. And then, coming after the Mars station. So, there is, I mean, I feel like we just all need to get to know our Capricorn houses or parts of our chart. You know, that part of your life has really been the the to and fro and where do we want to go? Where do we want to consolidate? What are we committing to? And what are we stepping away from, which, which are very Capricornian type things generally.
0: Yeah. And it's weird. They're all direct stations. It's like three direct stations, but it's like whatever part of your chart Capricorn is, that's like a, some major activations that are going on in that area of, I want to say everyone's life, but obviously that's too broad. But, um, you know, if Capricorn is an important part of your chart and it's activated at this time in this year somehow, like through Time Lords or Perfections or something like that, having all three of those planets stationing direct um, at this time is going to cause some major, major changes.
1: Yeah, because really it's three three direct stations in like what will be essentially a five-week period from late August to late September.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, four if we want to stretch it for Mercury, because it was Mercury direct, then Mars direct like a week and a half later, and then Saturn direct, and then Pluto direct over about five and a half weeks. Well, so, you know, the best thing about this is um, I get to go online and not see people going Oh my God, you guys! So many planets
0: retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: That's been interesting to see. Yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got a horoscope. Horoscope writers have to talk about something, and I think that was that was the fla- one of the flavors of the year was the five planets retrograde thing, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was one of the flavors of the of the northern summer for sure. For sure.
0: Sure. Um yeah but it, you know with the Capricorn thing I just looking at it from a whole sign perspective in terms of it mm. applying to an entire house or even more recently looking at it from a, a horoscope sort of rising sign perspective just having all three of those otherwise kind of heavy or sometimes difficult I mean you have both the, the quote unquote malefic planets as well as you know if modern astrologers if 20th century astrologers had anything approaching a malefic planet then Pluto would probably be it um all stationing direct in that sign um, and the potential for raising some challenging issues in whatever part of your life that relates to because you're getting all ends of the spectrum. It's not just you know, if you have a day chart, then Mars is the one that's more challenging. Or if you have a night chart, Saturn is the one that's more challenging. Having both of those stationed in the same sign over the course of the month plus Pluto, it seems to promise some challenges coming up in that area almost no matter what.
2: Yeah, or just reversals changes of direction where like I thought things were moving in one direction and now they're moving very, very much in a, in a different one, which I may maybe did not anticipate. Sure. I or to yeah. reframe it in terms of what you were saying. I thought the challenge was this, but it turns out it's actually this, which is not what I planned for or, you know, different and having to pivot to meet um, challenges from a different angle
0: right but at least it's coming at the end of it's the last it's the direct station in both instances so at least there's some sense of like finality or conclusion to it so that you're moving forward after that point whatever the challenge or the change is um rather than it's something that where it's like setting up a sequence of events that's not going to come to fruition until later that already happened earlier this year this is more bringing it to completion
2: yeah and absolutely and one one of the things that i experience and see Is that let let, let's just take one of these. Let's just take Saturn, right? So you've got Saturn direct in Capricorn. You're getting to know him through the first part of the year, and then there's a retrograde. You know, Saturn stations retrograde, and now it's something different. And then because um, all of the all three of the planets that we mentioned have long retrogrades, you know, Saturn's retrograde for like three and a half months. That just becomes normal. That you know that what was a reversal is just like the new normal for a while. And then the direct station happens. And sometimes you're just like, oh, 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 this is normal. We're getting back on track now. But I, you know, I'd gotten so sidetracked with or I'd gotten so adapted to doing the retrograde thing that I kind of forgot what things were like before the retrograde. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, Austin. It, It almost makes me sort of think that, you know, the. Saturn cycle through Capricorn, obviously it's the longer trend. We're going to be dealing with that for three years. And we've just had this Mars retrograde cycle, which has involved part of Capricorn. It almost feels a little bit like maybe that Mars retro part has been a little bit of a distraction or an interruption to whatever the larger plan or process or pathway, you know, is going to be or needs to be with the Saturn in Cap. And now we can, now you can maybe get back onto that. And, you know, like this is the real thing yeah, that, and we've just- a
2: better way to put it than I did, but that's exactly, that's exactly right.
1: Yeah. We're just putting that sidebar away and we're back to the main event kind of thing.
0: Right. And then we'll have Saturn moving forward for quite a while for, for a number of months uh, before we have another sta- Saturn station again. Yeah. Was it eight, eight and a half-ish months of direct motion?
1: Not till next year. Yeah. I think it goes up to 20 or 21 degrees. Getting
0: scary. Uh. Getting scary. Close to Pluto. <laughs> it looks like 20. It's going to, it's next station is going to be at 20 degrees of Capricorn in about 200 days, 210 days yeah. from September
2: 30th. Ooh, that, that, that yeah. Capricorn is a, is a hot piece of property this year and next. Tell you what. So we, you know, we're going to have the, yeah. the South Node there for all of next year. There, there's yes. definitely change occurring in, um, in that neighborhood.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if you aren't that familiar with your Capricorn planets or house in your chart, you, you're going to have many opportunities to get to know this part of your your life in the months and years to come as well.
0: Right. So figure out what house that is in your chart as one of the major areas of activity in terms of some of those, those transits that we're talking about, uh, which I think yeah. for us, we would mainly talk about like your whole sign house, but whatever house system you use, uh, pay attention to that area of your life.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. And Kelly actually meant I was like doing a search for something the other day, and I came across. Did you write an article about why you use whole sign houses? I've never seen you publicize this. Did you like I- qu- quietly? <laughs> did you just quietly like slip that out at one point without telling anyone?
1: Yeah, I did. <laughs> That was Um, one thing I did get done over the summer. Tony asked me like probably a year ago. Okay. Tony is like this ideas guru and Mm. he's always saying, write on this or do this. You know, the students need this or whatever. And one of the things he had asked me was, can you just write a little bit about why you switched to whole sign houses? And I was like, that's, that would be good to do because I've been teaching astrology you know, I've got students who kind of were with me before the switch and then after and, you know, just having to deal with, oh, my God, Kelly, my chart's different. What have you done? You know, I'm like, okay, well, right. I don't have that much power, but we're just shifting our perspective or whatever. So I didn't want to inflame any controversy, which is why I did publish it very quietly over the summer and I've just been sharing it with my students. Um, and it's lovely now, of course, that we're talking about it right as Mars is going to station direct. Um, and at least while Mars is out of Aquarius, but yeah, just, I just wanted to explain a little bit about how I came to make that change and some of the things I read, some of the people I spoke to a little bit often, you know, before you were saying you'd like to do these eavesdropping kind of conversations, Mm -hmm. because part of how I got to that switch was conversations with people like both of you guys and some other people that I spoke to as well, and just reading a few things. So it's just basically... I wasn't saying you should all do it because I did, but I just wanted to share really, it was like a letter to my students. This is how I came to make the switch. This is where I'm coming from. These are some of the points of difference, just as an FYI for people who are are wanting to work with me. So in a, in very, I can almost hear maybe Caitlin there saying, you've done it in your Kelly way, um, where I just wanted to put it out there. So yeah, I did publish that, um, uh, I can't remember, a few weeks ago before I before I went traveling.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, I just wanted to point out it was a really good article, so people should definitely check it out because it's a great sort of your personal story and journey with that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I just, I, I felt like, you know, it's such a big topic and I wanted to write something on it without contributing to the controversy, if if that is possible. But that's what I've tried to do.
2: <laughs> How I, why I switched to The Best House System by Kelly Surtees.
1: <laughs> I did. No, Austin, do not drag
2: me into this. Well, no, that was the, that was um, Chris. Chris gave uh, uh, Chris gave a talk with with best, I believe, in the title many years ago, which started uh, a particularly dramatic set of dialogues. So that's what you George get. Dagan that's best. what you get. What a surprise! That's what you get for trying to be lighthearted and fun, Chris.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <probably> <laughs> that was the last time I tried that, and now I just I keep it, you know, no comedy because uh, yeah. Not literally the best form of house division. All right. Well, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make a shirt just for you, Kelly, that says Holstein okay. House is literally the best form of house division literally that you can wear the
1: best.
0: to Norwalk. I'll wear it year.
1: in one of our episodes if you do. That's
0: okay. <laughs> don't, I, don't, don't, uh, <laughs> I know. I yeah.
1: know. I'll, I'll do it.
0: <laughs> okay. That's actually funny. Somebody's saying they would wear that shirt. That is actually a shirt that I'm working on. However, I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a war profiteer because I'm also going to make a competing Placidus and Quadrant Houses shirt. That says uh, quadrant houses, also literally the best form of house division. And then we, we can just see which one or becomes more popular. Maybe give me
2: Reggie Montanus or give me Death.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. These are the type of ideas that I need. So if anybody has any funny uh, astrology shirt ideas, let me know because I will seriously turn it into a shirt for the astrology podcast website. I love All right. It. Dude, if, if, I think this brings if you sold those, oh, if you Chris, sold those you at a conference, one of your that would be amazing. People would wear, no, uh, this is, this is happening. Like this whole shirt thing is happening. I've already got a bunch of them. I've got the Ophiuchus is not a sign. I've got some like sun, moon, rising sign ones, which I think would be great for conferences. If you've ever wanted oh. to have astrologers just throw their birth data at you without having to ask, what better way than to wear a shirt, uh, asking the question? Um, I, I, cause that's what I'm yeah. going to, I
2: suggested earlier off camera, but, um, you know, for the Ophiuchus ones, make, make the Zodiac 12 again, oh. right? <laughs> that's Maybe great. some
1: fetching hats. Yeah. Fetching. That's such a good word. It is very team Jennifer, team Angelina. I like it. Right. Um,
0: well, prepare, prepare for Norwak next year because there will be shirts and who knows what else.
1: Um, Chris, are you wearing a shirt right now? Do you need to model it? You're
0: I am. But a I don't. Lot
1: of co- we're, we're getting a lot of comments here. I don't.
0: I didn't get one of my like great ones. I just got one that I was testing out for sizing. So it just says that. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's yeah. that's a really smart one. Yeah, I
0: like that one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little highbrow, but I'm working on um, some other astrology like logo ones that are on the way, and I'll definitely show show those off once I get them and all that stuff's off up for order now. So if anybody gets a shirt and you want to send in a picture, then please do and I'll probably throw up a gallery at some point here before too long on the website.
1: Go you, like mogul astrologer in the making.
0: Yeah, well people have been asking for, you know, podcast merch for a while, so I finally got it together and got on it and that is the I guess according to you guys that is the Mars retrograde or the Jupiter stationing in the 10th house. So there's a it's, good example. It's
1: Totally, with your perfection. It's like the combination of everything there for you. Sure. Yeah.
0: All right, guys. Well, I think this brings us to the end of this episode. So, it's been fun talking about the astrology of September, and we're going to have to re- reconvene again here pretty soon to talk about whatever the next month is after that. But <laughs> yeah, thanks for thanks for joining October. me today. October. October. All right. Um Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys both for joining me uh, today. Uh, thanks, everybody who attended the live taping of this episode. We had like 20 or 30 people attending, all patrons who support the podcast, which I really appreciate each month, and it helps to support and continue to fund this whole project. And um, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Always, as always, uh, we appreciate ratings on iTunes. That always helps people to find out about the podcast. Check out some of those other astrology podcasts. Um, because they're really great, and it would be great to support other astrologers that are creating content like this. And uh, yeah, I think that's it uh, for this episode. So thanks, Austin and Kelly, for joining me today.
1: Thank it you, guys. Pleasure, pleasure yes, as always.
0: Definitely. Let's do it again awesome. sometime.
1: Yeah. Whatever month comes Yeah, Whatever,
0: whatever comes after <laughs> September. All right, guys. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll see you next time.
1: Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.